Ladies and gentlemen, good morning and welcome to the Court Retort. We are here live to cover closing arguments. Believe it or not, today is uh, the day that has been selected for closing arguments. We're going to watch those. I don't really know how long they're going to take. I would assume they would be done in the morning time during our three-hour session. Possibly won't be. Um, I can't say for sure. We shall see. I wouldn't expect it to go past the first afternoon session though but i guess we'll see uh as far as that goes so we'll be here regardless oh man it's good to be back all right now let me pull up the actual stream they're supposed to start at nine o'clock central which is six minutes from now i'd originally planned to be on a little bit earlier like 20 minutes earlier nvidia had other (laughs) ideas for some reason the new drivers just won't work on my fucking 1080 ti and not only that, sometimes they will work. They seem to degrade even. There might be a couple small errors at first, uh, and then they just get worse and worse. So bad that I actually started the stream, an NVIDIA, uh, NVIDIA error came up and like blacked out the screens and actually caused OBS to have an error and fucking terminate, which uh, that's pretty rare. So I just went ahead and installed the old driver at that point because... Why even take any chance? You know what it's going to be. <laughs> when it's doing that, you know what it's going to be. Uh, what's up? Max says he's hungover. I'm not too hungover, but uh, I did have a full weekend 
Uh, drove down to Virginia Beach on Saturday, stayed there for a day, went and ate at a place called Heirloom, which I still need to put some pictures up because, holy shit, it was so good. Uh, had some uh, duck that was really good. Not a crispy duck either, like um, Juicy cooked that way. It was so fucking good. Uh, Heirloom there. And Virginia Beach just opened a month ago, rave reviews. So if you do go to Virginia Beach, I would suggest that restaurant. Okay. Now, let's see. I'm looking. <laughs> I don't know what White Swan event's talking about uh, in the chat. Also, I'm looking for a feed right now. Yeah, dude, the new drivers. I don't know what it is, Max, but half the time it just fucks my shit up. I mean, every time now. I don't know what. Like, and I've tried new ones, so I would I would say, oh, well, it must be this version. I'll get the next. Da, 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 da. Then I did all this work. I put new, uh, more memory in my PC. Uh, I put a new hard drive in, et cetera, et cetera. So a couple weeks ago, I said, yeah, you know what? I'm just going to go ahead and upload to the new to the new driver. Probably works now. Well, no, it doesn't. Uh, <laughs> unfortunately, no. What's up, memes did it? Good morning, everybody. People still coming in. Oh, I need to send out the alert, huh? I should probably do that. I should probably do that. We're waiting for the trial to start. It hasn't started yet. There goes the alert. I sent it out everywhere but here, which is the most important place, actually. All right. Uh, yeah, you did the same thing? Yeah, I just thought, oh, well, it's it's time. I'm sure it works now. <laughs> I'm sure it'll work now. This version will work. Let me go ahead and try it. No, sorry, didn't. Okay, why the fuck do, don't they have a feed up yet? What in the fuck is going on? Law and Crime Network? I figured they would already have a feed. Maybe Care Eleven's talking about it. We're not going to watch their feed, though, because they're cucks. Weepy P-Hole, thank you for the gifted sub, man. Good morning. Uh, also, Cash App. We're up on Cash App again. Dollar sign Sunset Squad. Sunset Squad is the cash tag. And what else? We're up on Entropy. We're up on Killstream.live. So, hello, Patton. I see you over on Entropy. How you doing, man? Up on Killstream.live slash tip. Uh, what else do we have? I think those are all those <laughs> that I can think of. Uh, the contribution uh, methods there. Also, shout out to YouTube. Excuse me, Chillstream Clips. Two separate words over on YouTube. All right. Now, let's see. This is Carol Evans feed right here. There, so. Coherent answer as to why the use of lethal force should have been used. He said the closing arguments did not sway him one way or the other. Oh, interesting. He really wasn't thinking of guilty, not guilty to specific charges until they were in deliberations and got the elements from the judge. But at that point, it, it became harder because once he had the elements and they had the legal definitions of the charges, they had to right, dissect what each line means and discuss specific words. And he said that he had flashbacks to the Clinton imp impeachment trial and the whole debate of what the word is really means. Right. So it's like they, they really get into, you know, the splitting hairs on every word. And, it, and it's, it's really interesting how they have to dissect everything while they're deliberating like that. It's just amazing to me how important Lou, these, um, these instructions oh are God, because no. you yeah. said that because of the wording is, 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 so, is so important right now. And it, and it turns there into... It kind of like a, a checklist that they have to make it through for each charge. And that's why, I mean, even if they all are on the same page for the most part, right. they, don't, they don't just make a decision and come back within an hour. That's why it takes longer. And, I, you know, I asked them, like, how, uh, Bitch, how, do, how, how does works. the deliberation or work? At least I people think have we different viewpoints and they think about it differently. Uh, how do they come? Sherry, good morning. Good to see you, dear. Welcome. 
to the kill stream. Weepy pee hole. I think somebody subscribed before the stream and it reset. So thank you to that person as well. We'll see second ice cream eating ASMR stream again when. <laughs> yeah, we kind of did one of those yesterday, didn't we? <laughs> thank you, Weepy. Uh, the ice cream was good, too. Kosher ice cream. I didn't even know that was a thing. John, eventually, you assemble what you have remaining. Pass. Some pieces will, be, will be big. Some pieces will be small. Smash or pass. They and were if asking. the puzzle you assemble is clear enough, you can confidently say it matches the elements in the jury instructions. Then you render a guilty pass verdict. Or if you can't, then you render Thank you, sir. not guilty. And in that case, they ended this up This is a going, big day. This is closing oh, arguments. Charge, but guilty on the other two charges. I don't even know what kosher and ice cream is. they only deliberated... For, Wait, y'all uh, are voting? Who voted Smash? I don't think so. No. Back with an answer. Which I don't know. We can't see. The, she got some quick titties, deliberation. Well, and as we've learned from talking to all these fantastic lawyers over mm -hmm. the last several weeks. Ralph, did you see Russia's kicking a bunch of U.S. people out? I didn't see that, actually. But I'll look for it for the kill stream tonight. To guess. Right. You know, to guess what the verdict will be or to guess how long it will take. Very, like, even back to Sherry the, the Yanez trial. They... Thank you, Sherry. Closing arguments on a good Monday to see you. morning. I hope you had a like good weekend, this. by the way. And they didn't come to a verdict until Friday afternoon. The fuck? Holy shit. Oh my God. Do you know what this is? Every fucking device I just had in my whole entire fucking room started going off with an emergency alert system. And I'm like, what the fuck, dude? I'm like, we're under nuclear attack. What the fuck just happened? Do you know what this is? That is what it is, Mountain Man. That's exactly what it is. It says Virginia. Hold on, let me see. Make sure you can see this. Let's see. Let me read it first. Virginians 16 plus are eligible for the COVID-19 vaccine. Vaccinate.virginia.gov. Call, and then they give a phone number. Every device I just had fucking went off with that shit. I don't even think it's going to come into focus. There it goes. Every fucking device I have just went off with that shit. <laughs> what the fuck, dude? I thought, I was like, what happened? Are the police outside to come like on a SWAT? What is this noise? Holy shit. Fucking mother. Fuck your fucking. Never mind. I won't go into that. I think I'll save that for the kill stream. But no, thank you. Let's continue. Oh my God. State. Uh, mm -hmm. And it changed him forever. Uh, important to point out that these jurors have watched a lot of really troubling and hard evidence. Unbelievable, the last three dude. Weeks. Yeah, that's one thing that sticks with me. It's because, like, for our jobs, we need to watch these right. disturbing videos on a semi regular basis but shut you know, up you sick fuck we jobs. know you love watching uh, these, these disturbing videos didn't sign up to watch people die on video and that's something that's well that's their fault especially how many times in a row they had to watch those videos from all the different angles there was that one day early on i think it was toward the end of the first week and they just played one video after another and it was just draining, even, you know, it was draining. No, for I us. don't, Devin. I need to put jury. it up there, though. Absolutely. And uh, we have a live look at court there as we're waiting to the, for them to resume. But let's bring Brock back in. And, mm -hmm. Brock, if you can discuss a little bit about, uh, you know, how taxing this has been on the jury. Uh, and I, I assume you've been involved in many a case where, you know, the information is hard for the jurors to absorb. 
Uh, sure, Rena. I, I, anytime well, you're talking about serious so. charges, particularly <laughs> one in which uh, uh, you know someone died, it's going to be hard uh, for the jury to hear somebody. and see the evidence. And in this case in particular, because as you and Lou just noted, this was uh, an offense that was uh, video recorded from unprecedented number of angles. And we effectively and the jury effectively watched George Floyd die over and over and over again uh, throughout this trial. And keep in mind, these are jurors who uh, did not uh, spend a lot of time watching uh, this video (laughs) prior to being impaneled as jurors. Will success spoil Brock Hunter? Regularly asked during jury selection and those jurors who had already spent a lot of time watching this video and, and forming opinions about George Floyd's death were stricken from the jury. And so these are jurors who came into this Polina case. Polina Whitestrake over on killstream.live slash tip says, Good morning, Trovo. Good morning. Yes, killstream.live slash tip working well. Let's hit it. Uh, uh, not having seen much, and they saw a lot uh, over the course of this trial. And Brock, we know a little bit about how deliberations will work. Uh, the jury will deliberate until early evening, at which point they'll be brought to a hotel. They are going to uh, be they sequestered. Won't have their their phones and devices with them. They'll be able to call home to their make a phone call home to their families, basically before going to bed. And then they'll wake up in the morning, have breakfast at the hotel, and then be brought back uh, to their deliberation room. Um, By the from, way, they're from, five minutes over late the years, in the courtroom. You know, and you've studied how juries We're work to and start so up forth. Now. Can you give us a little more insight? into the deliberation process. You heard a little bit about how this juror from the Knorr case described his experience. Sure, well, because this jury is being sequestered, they are in effect going into a bubble, uh, completely isolated from the rest of the world uh, from this morning until the time they reach their verdict. They are going to be escorted everywhere they go uh, by sheriff's uh, deputies who are going to be making sure that they are safe and also that no one from the outside world has any contact with them. And that's going to extend to their hotel. Uh, those sheriff deputies are going to be present to make sure that they're not leaving, that they're not having any uh, uh, communications with the outside world. Um, it's a very strange twilight zone-like existence for these jurors. Oh, it's so tough. Inside it's the jury so hard. Room, oh, it's so uh, hard. You know, it's just a one trial. Jury... Everybody gives a fuck about. You know what? Sequester them. They should have been sequestered this whole fucking time. Shut the fuck up, bitch. What you, oh, it's so tough. They're put up in a hotel with free food. And, oh, it's so hard, bitch. Fucking defense attorney's got the nerve. The fuck? Think about jail, bitch. That's what's hard. Fuck off. Oh, they're in a hotel. Oh, it's so tough. Oh, ho, 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 ho. Uh, oftentimes, and, and there's no real guidance for juries as to how to go about doing Sick of this, this shit. but it's not uncommon, you know I what? think, for- Get this sh- to perhaps take an initial vote, uh, just to go around the table and see where each juror is is sitting and and uh, get a sense of where that's at. Um, this guy looks like a and pussy. you know, if they're all in the same place, uh, like a guilt or innocence, uh, they don't have a Twitter a, for a week. Oh. Juries sometimes come back in an hour or less, uh, um, but. Other times, yeah. Uh, by the way, better- I see. Yeah, this is the asshole who said, "Yeah, testify because you have nothing to lose." Now, to be clear, I thought it was, you know, that it was a viable option for him to testify. Let's put it that way. Um, but I didn't say because he had nothing to lose. He has everything to lose. What the fuck? That's retarded. Um, and also, 
you don't want to fuck up possible appellate issues too. Uh, that's I think why they didn't get him in there. Um, because there's a lot of appellate issues in case they lose. A quicker verdict uh, than if they hadn't been? I think inevitably these jurors taken away from their families and their homes are going to feel an additional level of pressure uh, to reach a decision. It's just a natural human uh, emotion to want to get back to your regular life, particularly after uh, this trial and weeks and weeks of in intensive uh, testimony and evidence. I'm sure that all of these jurors are exhausted. Uh, see, Polino Weisrake says you should check out Chicks Beach next time you go to Virginia Beach. Better than Oceanfront. I've heard about Chicks Beach. We haven't been, but, yeah, I've heard about it. The judge is in, by the way. He says, if you go to Norfolk, check out Caponara, Caponara legit Japanese ramen. All right, now let's switch to this one, though. Why aren't they on, dude? I don't want to watch Care 11. The fuck? These dumb cucks. It says they're waiting, dude. You may... In fact, I would encourage that you follow along. They probably won't curse today you. anyway. Uh, there will be a point where I'll ask you to put Hands the remaining files, instructions under your chair so that you can listen to the closing arguments of counsel. So members of the jury, I instruct you as follows. It is your duty to decide the questions of fact in this case. It is my duty to give you the rules of law that you must apply in arriving at your verdict. We're live watching closing you arguments. You have now heard the evidence, and soon you'll hear the arguments of counsel. At, that, at this time, I will instruct you in the law applicable to this case. You must follow and apply the rules of law as I give them to you, even if you believe the law is or should be. Oh, wait, let me. You've been given a copy of these instructions to follow along as All I read, right, and you may take your copy with you when you retire to the jury room. Nevertheless, you should listen carefully and attentively as I read them to you now. Please note that the titles of the individual sections of these instructions are not a part of the instructions, but merely placed as headings to assist you in finding a topic. Deciding questions of fact is your exclusive responsibility. In doing so, you must consider all the evidence you have heard. Well, if that's mana, it's not elixir. And you must disregard anything that you may have heard or seen elsewhere about this case. I have not, by these instructions, just by for show, ruling or expression during the trial, intended to indicate my opinion regarding the facts or the outcome of this case. If I have said or done anything that would seem to indicate such an opinion, you are to disregard it. You must consider these instructions as a whole and regard each instruction in light of all the others. The order in which the instructions are given is of no significance. You are free to consider the issues in any order you wish. The defendant is presumed innocent of the charges made this presumption <laughs> remains with the defendant unless and until he has been proven guilty beyond a reasonable Sherry doubt. with the man of Bob. The defendant has the <laughs> fact that the defendant has been brought before the court by the ordinary processes of the law and is on trial should not be considered by you in any way suggesting guilt. Panzer, thank the you. The burden of proving guilt is on the state. The defendant does not have to prove his innocence. Proof beyond a reasonable doubt is such proof as ordinarily prudent men and women would act upon in their most important affairs. A reasonable doubt is a doubt based upon reason and common sense. It does not mean a fanciful or capricious doubt, nor does it mean beyond all possibility of doubt. I guess law and crime ain't coming off. A fact may be proven by either direct or circumstantial evidence or by both. The law does not prefer one form of evidence over the other. A fact is proven by direct evidence when, for example, it is proven by witnesses 
who testify as to what they saw, heard, or experienced, or by physical evidence of the fact itself. A fact is proven by circumstantial evidence when its existence can be reasonably inferred from other facts proven in the case. For example, if a person watches deer crossing a snow-covered field, the person has direct evidence of deer walking in the field because the person sees it. If the person does not see deer but finds deer tracks in the snow, the deer tracks are circumstantial evidence that deer walked in the field because that factual conclusion can reasonably be inferred from the tracks found in the snow. Now, attorneys are officers of the court. It is their duty to make objections they think proper and to argue their client's cause. However, the arguments or other remarks of an attorney are not evidence. If the attorneys or I have made or should make any statement as to what the evidence is that differs from your recollection of the evidence, you should disregard the statement and rely solely on your own memory. If an attorney's argument contains any statement of the law that differs from the law I give you, disregard the attorney's statement. The state has brought three charges or counts against the defendant. Each count charges a separate and distinct offense. You must consider the evidence applicable to each count as though it were the only accusation before you for consideration. And you must state your findings as to each count I think I can take down the other law of tax uninfluenced by the fact that your verdict as to any other count or counts is in favor of or against the defendant. The defendant may be found guilty or not guilty of any or all of the offenses charged depending on the evidence and the weight you give it under the court's instructions. I'm about to instruct you on the law that you are to apply to the charges in the defense, but before doing so, I am going to define a few words and phrases that appear more than once in the elements of the charges and the defense that follow. The words and phrases being defined are bolded in the written copy of the instructions you will be receiving. You should use these oh definitions God. for these words and phrases in your deliberation. Attempted means that the defendant did an act which was a substantial t step toward and more than mere preparation for causing the result and that the defendant did that act with intent to cause that result. There are several forms of bodily harm relevant to some of the charges or the defense. Bodily harm means physical pain or injury, illness, or any impairment of a person's physical condition. Substantial bodily harm means bodily harm that involves a temporary but substantial disfigurement that causes a temporary but substantial loss or impairment of the function of any bodily member or organ or that causes a fracture of any bodily member. Great bodily harm means bodily injury that creates a high probability of death, that causes serious permanent disfigurement, or that causes a permanent or protracted loss or impairment of the function of any bodily member or organ or other serious bodily harm. To cause death, causing death or caused the death, means that the defendant's act or acts were a substantial causal factor in causing the death of George Floyd. The defendant is criminally liable for all the consequences of his actions that occur in the ordinary and natural course of events, including those consequences brought about by one or more intervening causes if such intervening causes were the natural result of the defendant's acts. The fact that other causes contribute to the, de we be to thank the death you. does not relieve the defendant of criminal liability. However, the defendant is not criminally liable if a superseding cause caused the death. A superseding cause is a cause that comes after the defendant's acts, 
alters the natural sequence of events and is the sole cause of a result that would not otherwise have occurred. To know, to have knowledge, or knew requires only that the defendant believes that the specified facts exist. Intentionally or intentional means that the defendant either has a purpose to do the thing or cause the result specified, or believes that the act performed if successful will cause the result. In addition, the defendant must have knowledge of those facts that are necessary to make his conduct criminal and that are set forth after the word intentionally or intentional. With intent that, with intent to or intended, means that the defendant either has a purpose to do the thing or cause the result specified or believes that the act performed, if successful, will cause that result. It is not necessary that the defendant have this intent in advance the necessary intent can develop during the commission of the act. Police officer means an employee of a law enforcement agency who is licensed by the Board of Peace Officer Standards and Training, charged with the prevention and detection of crime and the enforcement of the general criminal laws of the state of Minnesota and who has the full power of arrest. A law enforcement agency is a unit of state or local government that is authorized by law to, to grant full powers of arrest. <laughs> and to charge a person with the duties of preventing and detecting crime and enforcing uh, as as the general right criminal now, laws of the state of Minnesota. It's bothering me. The Minneapolis Police Department is a law enforcement agency for these purposes. The definition of any word or phrase with a specific legal meaning that appears only once in the elements or the defenses will be defined where it appears later in these instructions. The defendant is charged in count one with murder in the second degree in connection with the death of George Floyd. Under Minnesota, law, under Minnesota law, a person causing the death of another without intent to cause the death of any person while committing or attempting to commit a felony offense is guilty of the crime of murder in the second degree. The defendant is charged with committing this crime or intentionally aiding the commission of this crime. The elements of the crime of murder in the second degree while right, committing a felony are borders. first element, the death of George Floyd must be proven. Second element, the well, defendant I think caused we proved the death that. of George Floyd. <laughs> Third element, the defendant at I mean, the time of causing the death of George Floyd. They talk about him like he's Jesus if he rises again. I, I don't know. Of assault I would be pretty surprised. It is not necessary for the state to prove the defendant had an intent to kill George Floyd, but it must prove that the defendant committed or attempted to commit the underlying felony of assault in the third degree. There are two elements of assault in the third degree. First, defendant assaulted George Floyd. Assault is the intentional infliction of bodily harm upon another or the attempt to inflict bodily harm upon another. The intentional infliction of bodily harm requires proof that the defendant intentionally applied unlawful force to another person George without Floyd that person's rises tomorrow at 420. and that act resulted yes! in bodily harm. Second, defendant inflicted substantial bodily harm on George Floyd. It is not necessary for the state to prove that the defendant intended Be to in inflict here. substantial bodily harm or knew that his actions would inflict substantial bodily harm. Only that the defendant intended to commit the assault and that George Floyd sub sustained substantial bodily harm as a result of the assault. Fourth element, the defendant's act took place on or about May 25th, 2020 in Hennepin County. I forgot about jury If you find that each so of these elements be has been proven beyond a reasonable doubt, I don't think so, the though. defendant is guilty of this charge. If you find that any of the elements have not been proven beyond a reasonable doubt, the defendant is not guilty of this charge, unless 
you find the state has proven beyond a reasonable doubt that the defendant is liable for this crime committed by another person or persons according to the instructions below that are listed on page 8 under the heading liability for crimes of another. The defendant is charged in count 2 with murder in the third degree in connection with the death of George Floyd. Under Minnesota law, a person causing the death of another by perpetrating an act eminently dangerous to others and evincing a depraved lower, mind maybe a little. without regard for human life but without intent to cause the death of any person is guilty of murder. He's really low degree. though. The defendant is charged with committing this crime or intentionally aiding the commission of this crime. Mine might be a little high, though. The elements of the crime of murder in the third degree are, first element, the death of George Floyd must be proven. Second element, the defendant caused the death of George Floyd. No, I haven't, Memes. Third element, the defendant caused the death of George Floyd by an intentional act that was eminently dangerous to other persons. A person commits an act eminently dangerous to others when the act is highly likely to cause death. Fourth element, defendant acted with a mental state consisting of reckless disregard for human life. The defendant's act may not have been specifically intended to cause death and may not have been specifically directed at the particular person whose death occurred, but must have been committed with a conscious indifference to the loss of life that the eminently dangerous act could cause. Fifth element, the defendant's act took place on or about May 25th, 2020 in Hennepin County. If you find that each of these elements has been proven beyond a reasonable doubt, the defendant is guilty of this charge. If you find that any of these elements has not been proven beyond a reasonable doubt, the defendant is not guilty of this charge, unless you find the state has proven beyond a reasonable doubt that the defendant is liable for this crime committed by another person or persons, according to the instructions that are listed on page 8, under the heading Liability for Crimes of Another. The defendant is charged in count three with manslaughter in the second degree in connection with the death of George Floyd. Under Minnesota law, whoever by culpable negligence, whereby he creates an unreasonable risk I and think consciously takes the chance of causing death there's or a good chance for that charge, person, actually. causes the death of another, is guilty of, murder, of manslaughter in the second degree. The defendant is charged or with third committing degree. this crime or intentionally aiding the commission of this crime. The elements of manslaughter in the second degree are first element, the death of George Floyd must be proven. Second element, the defendant caused the death of George Floyd by culpable negligence, whereby the defendant created an unreasonable risk and consciously took a chance of causing death or great bodily harm. Culpable negligence is intentional conduct that the defendant may not have intended to be harmful, but that an ordinary and reasonably prudent yeah, that's person kind of would, be would a, recognize as involving yeah, a strong see that probability too of injury to others. Third element, the defendant's act took place on or about I May think you might be right, Jeff. He might get manslaughter and they'll say that's not enough and then they'll riot anyway. <laughs> has been proven beyond a reasonable doubt. The defendant is guilty of this charge. Oh, they're finally up if on long crime. If you find that any of these elements have not been proven beyond a reasonable doubt. Good, I don't want to hear If you find that each of these elements has been proven beyond a reasonable Oh, well, they're actually, I don't know, maybe we'll say with Care 11. That the defendant is liable for this crime committed by another person or persons. Should we? According to the following instruction on liability for crimes of another. The following instructions apply to all three of the charges I've just given you. The defendant is guilty of a crime committed by another person or persons only if the defendant has played an intentional role in aiding the commission of that crime and made no reasonable effort to prevent the crime before it was committed. Intentional role includes intentionally aiding advising, hiring, counseling, conspiring with, 
or procuring another to commit the crime. The defendant's presence or actions constitute intentionally aiding only if first the defendant knew another person or persons were going to commit or were committing a crime. Second, the defendant intended that his presence or actions aid the commission of that crime. If the defendant intentionally aided another person or persons in committing a crime, or intentionally advised, hired, counseled, conspired with, or otherwise procured the other person or persons to commit it, the defendant is also guilty of any other crime the other person or persons commit while trying to commit the intended crime, if that other crime was reasonably foreseeable to the defendant as a probable consequence of trying to commit the intended crime. The defendant is guilty of the crime under this theory of intentionally aiding in the commission of a crime by another person or persons only if the other person or persons commit the crime. The defendant is not guilty for aiding, advising, hiring, counseling, conspiring, or otherwise procuring the commission of one of the charged crimes unless that crime is actually committed. The defendant, or the state rather, the state has the burden of proving beyond a reasonable doubt that the defendant intentionally aided another person in committing the charged crime. No crime is committed if a police officer's actions were justified by the police officer's use of reasonable force in the line of duty in effecting a lawful arrest or preventing an escape from custody. The, the kind and degree of force a police officer may lawfully use in executing his duties is limited by what a reasonable police officer in the same situation would believe to be necessary. Any use of force beyond that is not reasonable. To determine if the actions Your God, of the police thank officer you, as well. reasonable, you must look at those facts which a reasonable officer in the same situation would have known at the precise moment the officer acted with force. You must decide whether the officer's actions were objectively reasonable in light of the totality of the facts and circumstances confronting the officer and without regard to the officer's own subjective state of mind, intentions, or motivations. The defendant is not guilty of a crime if he used force as authorized by law. To prove guilt, the state must prove beyond a reasonable doubt that the defendant's use of force was not authorized by law. You are the sole judges of whether a witness is to be believed and of the weight to be given a witness's testimony. There are no hard and fast rules to guide you in this respect. In determining believability and weight of testimony, you may take into consideration the witness's interest or lack of interest in the outcome of the case. Okay, it just stopped. I don't know what happened. That's their feed. Let me go to the other. The witness's interest or any lack of interest in the outcome. Oh, it's back now. And any other factors that bear on believability it was the main and feed. weight. You should rely on the last analysis upon your own experience, good judgment, and common sense. A witness who has special training, education, or experience in a particular science, occupation, or calling is allowed to express an opinion as to certain facts. In determining the believability and weight to be given such opinion, opinion evidence, you may consider the education, training, experience, knowledge, and ability of the witness, the reasons given for the opinion, the, the reasons given for the opinion, okay. the sources of the information, factors already given you for evaluating the testimony of any witness, and such opinion evidence is entitled to neither more nor less consideration by you than any other evidence. The state must convince you by evidence beyond a reasonable doubt that the defendant is guilty of the crime charged. The defendant has no obligation to prove innocence. The defendant has the right not to testify. 
This right is guaranteed by the federal and state constitutions. You should not draw any inference from the fact that the defendant has not testified in this case. In deciding the believability and weight to be given the testimony of a witness, you may consider evidence of a statement by or conduct of the witness on some prior occasion that is inconsistent with present testimony. Evidence of any prior inconsistent statement or conduct should be considered only to test the believability and weight of the witness's testimony. In the case of the defendant, however, evidence of any statement the defendant may have made may be considered by you for all purposes. You have heard evidence of an occurrence involving George Floyd on May 6, 2019. As I told you at the time the evidence was offered, it was admitted solely for the limited purpose of showing what the effects, what effects the ingestion of opioids may or may not have had on the physical well-being of George Floyd. This evidence is not to be used as evidence of the character of George Floyd. During the testimony of some witnesses, the parties introduced demonstrative exhibits solely for the, the form of charts, summaries, and animated videos. Effects, this information was presented to assist you as an aid in your understanding of the witness's testimony and to help explain the facts disclosed uh, by the records, other documents, testimony, and other evidence that was received during the trial. If any chart, summary, or animated video is not consistent with the facts or figures shown by evidence in the case as you find them, you should disregard the chart or summary or animated video and determine the facts from the underlying evidence. Earlier during these instructions, I oh, defined words and phrases. <laughs> They'll write no matter what. Thanks for covering the trial. Appreciate it, man. If I have not defined a word or phrase, you should apply the common, ordinary meaning of that word or phrase. <laughs> we be gifted a sub. During this trial, I have ruled on objections Illustrator, to testimony and exhibits. We can't have that. You passed. must not concern yourself with the reasons for the rulings since they are controlled by rules of evidence. By admitting into evidence testimony and exhibits as to which objection was made, I did not intend to indicate the weight to be given such testimony and evidence. You are not to speculate as Mods possible answers to trouble, questions please. I did not require to be answered. You are to disregard all evidence and statements of Wolfgang, attorney. Wolfgang, are you going to mod or are you just going to run your mouth all morning? What the fuck? And with that, I ask you to put your instructions under your chair as Jesus. we listen to the closing arguments. You are to disregard all evidence and statements of attorneys. That Is I there a reason you have a sword or like, I don't know. Like required to be answered. You are to disregard all evidence. Okay. Of counsel. Is the state ready to proceed with closing? Yes, sir. Mr. Swisher, you may proceed. You're all right, Wolf. Especially when they're both together, though. There was, a, there was a chat where they were both together, Wolf. Not even just the one. It had the other next to it as well. That's okay. He does mod. He does mod. I have to poke at Wolf every once in a while. <laughs> yeah, sometimes we let the single one go. You're right. We really shouldn't let it go, by the way, but sometimes we do. Anthony West says his name can't choke the Chauvin on Cash App. Appreciate that, man. George Perry Floyd Jr. Oh my God! Say and he his was name. born on October 14, oh, no. 1973, in Fayetteville, North name! Carolina. Big Floyd, the landlord. George Floyd Sr. and Larcinia Wait, what? Jones Floyd. Wait, <laughs> sissy. That can't be. 
uh, the matriarch. His mother's name is George Larceny? Floyd's brother, Thelonious. <laughs> and you heard all about Sissy Floyd. She was George Floyd's mom. She was the mom of the house. She was the mom of Wait. the neighborhood. <laughs> and you heard about the special bond that she and George Floyd shared during his life. Was that his grandma or the matriarch's mom? You heard about Lysenia. their relationship, how he would always take time and special attention fuck? to be with his mother, how he yeah, would still is. cuddle with her oh my God, small. in the fetal position. I gotta tweet you this heard up. that. <laughs> and from George Floyd's brother, you learned Holy all about shit. George's childhood. They were childhood. trying to tell us something, dude. And during his time growing up in that house, George Floyd was surrounded by people, by people he knew, people who knew what him, is his name? George. people he recognized, Fucking crook. a familiar face to pick out in the crowd. People need that. I can't even do this. George Floyd was surrounded by people he cared about and who cared about him throughout his life, throughout his childhood in that house, through his adolescence, into his adulthood. On May 25, 2020, George Floyd died. Face down on the pavement, right on 38th in Chicago, in Minneapolis. Nine minutes and 29 seconds. Nine minutes and 29 seconds. During this time, George Floyd struggled, desperate to, to breathe, to make enough room in his chest to breathe. But the force was too much. He was, he was trapped. He was trapped with the unyielding pavement underneath him, as unyielding as the men who held him down, oh, no. pushing him. A knee to the neck, a knee to the back, twisting his fingers, holding his legs for nine minutes and 29 seconds. The defendants wait on him. The lungs in his chest, unable to expand because there wasn't enough room to breathe, George Floyd tried. He pushed his bare shoulder against the pavement to lift himself, to give his chest, to give his lungs enough room in his chest. Why didn't he just rest comfortably like that guy said? With the pavement tearing into his bare skin. As he desperately pushed with his knuckles to make space so he'd have room to breathe, the pavement lacerating, lacerating his knuckles. 700 plus watching live, let's go, share the stream. nine minutes and 29 seconds, so desperate to breathe, he pushed with his face, with his face, to lift himself, to open his chest, to give his lungs room to breathe. The pavement tearing into his skin, George Floyd losing strength, not superhuman strength, 
There was no superhuman strength that day. There's no superhuman strength because there's no such thing as a superhuman. Those exist in comic books. Blaino, thank the 38th you, man. in Chicago is a very real place. I'm going to read these after when we have Not a little break. Not superhumans. Only humans. Just a human, just a man, lying on the pavement, being pressed upon, desperately crying out. A grown man crying out for his mother. A human being. And in that time and in that place, while he was surrounded in life by people he knew him, faces he could pick out, there was no one there he knew. He was surrounded by strangers. Well, he was just hanging with the guy who sold him pills. Nine minutes and 29 seconds. He's surrounded by strangers, not a familiar face to say his final words. But he did say them to someone. He said them to someone who he did not know by name, but he knew him from the uniform he wore and the badge he wore. And he called him Mr. Officer. That's what he called him, Mr. Officer. Mr. Officer would help. We call the police when we need help. And he pleaded with George Mr. Floyd. Officer. No. George Floyd's final words on May 25, 2020 were, please, I can't breathe. And he said those words to Mr. Officer. He said those words to the defendant. Maybe he's talking to Korean. He asked for help with his very last breath. But Mr. Officer did not help. The defendant did not help. He stayed on top of him, continued to push him down, to grind his knees, to twist his hand, to twist his fingers into the handcuffs that bound him, looking at him, staring, staring down at times the horrified bystanders who had gathered and watched this unfold. The motto of the Minneapolis Police Department is to stand back and watch apparently while they burn down the police station and to serve with compassion. Stand back and watch. But George Floyd was not a threat to anyone. He wasn't trying to hurt anyone. He wasn't trying to do anything to anyone. Facing George Floyd that day, that did not require one ounce of courage and none was shown on that day. No courage was required. All that was required was a little compassion. And none was shown on that day. George Floyd said, I'm not trying to win. This was a call about a counterfeit $20 bill. All that was required was some compassion. Humans need that. People need that. But more fundamental than that, and more practical, at that time, in that place, what George Floyd needed was some oxygen. That's what he needed. Oh, that's right. His half-brother's name's Convictus. I forgot about that. Because people need that. 
humans need that to breathe. And he said that. And the defendant heard him say that over and over. He heard him, but he just didn't listen. He continued to push him down, to grind into him, to shimmy, to twist his hand. For nine minutes and 29 seconds, he begged, George Floyd begged until he could speak no more, and the defendant continued this assault. When he was unable to speak, the defendant continued. When he was unable to breathe, the defendant continued beyond the point that he had a pulse. Beyond the point that he had a pulse, the defendant continued this assault. Nine minutes and 29 seconds. When the ambulance arrived, the ambulance was here and the defendant continued. He stayed on top of him. He would not get up. He would not let up. He stayed on him, grinding into him, continuing to twist his fingers, to hold him down. He had no pulse. He was not breathing. He was not responsive. And the defendant had to know what was right beneath him. Right beneath him. You saw the video. You saw the point when the ambulance arrived and finally, after a paramedic got out and the defendant still did not get up and the paramedic tapped him and finally the defendant got up and they lifted Mr. Floyd onto that gurney and you saw the way he he was not, there was nothing there. His head had to be held to prevent it from falling to the ground. He was completely limp. The defendant had to know that. He was there. He was on top of him. And he was on top of him. On top of him. Sometimes you ask for the truth. Sometimes you insist on the truth. And the truth is the defendant was on top of him for nine minutes and 29 seconds. And he had to know. He had to know. The medical examiner would find the cause of George Floyd's death to be cardiopulmonary arrest, complicating law enforcement subdual restraint and neck compression. Well, what you saw the defendant and the other officers doing to George Floyd caused his death. I'll be right back, Chad. I gotta take a piss. I know I'm gonna be here for a while. The medical examiner ruled the death, a homicide, death at the hands of another. What the defendant did to George Floyd killed him. It was ruled a homicide. The defendant is charged with murder. He's charged with murder and he's charged with manslaughter. The defendant at the time was a police officer. Okay. It may be hard, it may be hard for any of you to imagine a police officer doing something like this. Remember, in jury selection, and we talked about bias and we talked about setting biases and preconceived notions behind. Well, imagining a police officer committing a crime might be the most difficult 
thing you have to set aside because that's just not the way we think of police officers. We trust the police. We trust the police to help us. We believe the police are going to respond to our call for help. We believe they're going to listen to us. And, and this is strong. This runs deep. I'd say it's difficult to set this aside. I want you to consider that uh, even after, with the bystanders, after they saw what they saw, after they saw this shocking display of abuse of police power and a man murdered in front of them, Genevieve Hansen, she called the police. Donald Williams, he saw this. You heard him. He testified. He called the police. A nine-year-old, Judea, what did she suggest? We need to call the police on the police. That's our expectation. Well, because they're retarded. That's why they suggested that. You think the cops are going to come stop him, you fucking moron? The police are going to help. And, and, with, and with reason, and with good reason, right? Because policing is the most noble profession. It is. It is. And to be very clear, this case. Yeah, low IQ moments. You think the cops are going to come fucking Minnesota help you? Minnesota versus Derek Chauvin. This case is not called the state of Minnesota versus the police. It is not. Policing is a noble profession, and it is a profession. You met several Minneapolis police officers during this trial. You met them. They took the stand. They testified. Make no mistake, this is not a prosecution of the police. It is a prosecution of fucking the defendant. And there's nothing bomb. worse for fucking good police bitch. than a bad fucking police who doesn't follow the bitch. rules, who doesn't follow procedure, who doesn't follow training, who ignores the policies of the department, the motto of the department, to protect with courage, to serve with compassion. Chief Arredondo, the chief of police in Minneapolis Police Department, he took the stand and he testified and he told you what that badge that he wears over his heart means. It's a public service. It's a public trust. Oh, They're yeah. there to help us. It's a professional organization. There are standards. There are rules. There's a code of conduct. There's a use of force policy. There's extensive training. The police are first responders. They're who we call for help. Polino help says, us. I wonder how much compassion George CPR Floyd training. showed more, to that pregnant woman while he pointed a gun at her fucking belly. There's more to policing than putting handcuffs on people and hauling them away, to be true. right? There's other kinds of training. There's procedural justice. There's crisis intervention training. There's medical training. And there's defensive tactics, and there's de-escalation. Not guilty. All of White boy summer begins hundreds, now, according to Green Danger on Cash training. App. You met the people who staff the training center, and they told you, "We don't train this." They told you that. The sanctity of life and the protection of the public. Those are the cornerstones of Shelvin Minneapolis Police Department's use of force policy. Protection of the public. All of the public. All of the human beings that make up Tactics the public. Tactics of the ancients. 
the defendant, he didn't do that because that day his badge just wasn't in the right place. The defendant was a police officer. He was. And again, you need to set aside the notion that it's impossible for a police officer to do something like this. The defendant is on trial not for being a police officer. It's not the state versus the police. He's not on trial for the who only. he was. He's on trial <laughs> for what he did. That is what he did. That is what he did. did they give a fuck about policing? Day. No, they don't. Nine it's minutes and 29 seconds. That is what he did. He didn't follow training. Those hundreds of hours of training that he had, he did not follow the department's use of force rules. He did not perform CPR. He knew better. He just didn't do better. He just didn't do better. Remember during opening statement? During opening statement, counsel said that the defendant followed the rules and followed his training. Did you hear evidence of that? Did you hear evidence of that from the stand? Or did you hear something quite different? The chief of police testified. He violated their use of force policy. He violated their de-escalation policy. He violated the duty to render emergency aid. No. You heard the trainer, Lieutenant Mercil. We don't train this. This is, this is not who we are. No. That representation was simply wrong. That's just a story. What the defendant did was not policing. What the defendant did was an assault. I'm going to discuss the law with you in a bit here and, uh, and explain. Uh, the court's already provided you some instructions on second-degree murder, and you know that in the laws of this state, if you commit in a certain level of assault, a felony-level assault, and a person dies as a result of your assault, you're guilty of murder. It's as simple as that. And what the defendant did here was a straight-up felony assault. This was not policing. It was unnecessary. It was gratuitous. It was disproportionate. And he did it on purpose. No question. This was not an accident. He did not trip and fall and find himself upon George Floyd's knee and neck. He did what he did oh my God. on purpose. And it killed George Floyd. That force for nine minutes and 29 seconds, that killed George Floyd. He betrayed the badge and everything it stood for. It's not how they're trained. It's not following the rules. 850 live right now. This is not an anti-police prosecution. Headed down the home stretch. Well, it's the pro-police The turn on the home stretch. We still got to get the verdict, but that's the true home stretch. Here. That's the finish line, I guess. The defendant abandoned his values, abandoned the training, and killed a man. And why? Right out in the public. Right out in broad daylight. In front of several bystanders as they looked in, in shock and horror. And why? Well, this all started over a call of an alleged counterfeit $20 bill. But George Floyd's life was taken for something worth far, far less, far less. 
you saw the photo. You saw the body language. You can learn a lot about someone by looking at their body language. Defendant facing down that crowd. They were pointing cameras at him, recording him, telling him what to do, challenging his authority, his ego, his pride. Not the kind of pride that makes you do better, be better. The kind of ego-based pride but the defendant was not going to be told what to do. He was not going to let these bystanders tell him what to do. He was going to do what he wanted, how he wanted, for as long as he wanted. And there was nothing, about to blow it out the park. nothing they could do about it because about to he blow had out the, the authority. He had the power of the badge. He looked chill to me. Officers. What do you mean he was staring people down? And the down? bystanders were powerless. They were powerless to do a thing. The defendant... If anything, he, he, looked, chose he looked indifferent. What the fuck's this guy talking about? Charles McMillan, 61 years Literally, old. Literally, if anything, he man. looked indifferent. Uh, you remember when he testified? Like, oh, okay. He had the glasses. Here we go again. Literally. If any of you in the front row, when he walked by, happened to notice his shoes, if you looked at his shoes, you probably saw your reflection in those shoes, right? Uh, he dressed uh, for court like it was the most important day of his life. Uh, interesting man. He was there. He's sort of narrating this horrific. Almost like it scene was the biggest day of his life. Hear him in the video. And he called out to George Floyd. He said, um, "You can't win. You can't win." And George Floyd replied, "I'm not trying to win." We will pin this message. I'm not trying to win. I'm he says, scared. "Chad Nelson gets up but there. The prosecution is a bunch of slurs. My client is not guilty. <laughs> trying to win." He wasn't going to be told what to do. Thank you, Wolfgang. He wasn't going to take a challenge to his authority. He was trying to win. And George Floyd paid for it with his life. Killstream.entropy, we're up there as well. Also need to be clear, this is not the trial of George Floyd. George Floyd is not on trial here. You've heard some things about George Floyd. Uh, that he struggled no, he's had with many drug trials addiction, before. that uh, he was being investigated for allegedly passing a fake $20 bill, that there was never any evidence introduced that he knew was fake in the first place. Right? But, but he is not on trial. He didn't get a trial when he was alive. Oh, he's not on trial, but let's go into it anyway. He's that... not on trial here. Uh, defense claims that he was non-compliant. Non-compliant. Well, let's let's revisit what happened before the nine minutes and twenty-nine seconds. Before that, it's Memorial Day, right? May twenty-five, two thousand twenty, and George Floyd is sitting in a car in the driver's seat with two friends. Now, previously, he'd been in Cup Foods. He'd been in the store. He was walking. He was talking. He was breathing as I can't alive wait Nelson. as any person, any human in this room. Nelson, man's whole life is in this. Oh, my God. Back to the car. He's with his friends, and there's a tap at the window. He looks to his left and a start. This is what he sees. This is what he sees. Within seconds of the approach... Officer Lane have tapped on the window. Within seconds, he pulls his gun and holds it inches from George Floyd's face. 
and starts shouting profanities. Show me your thing hands. Well, you can't Show say me it. your effing hands. Effing? Ah, oh, this pussy. Just Screaming. say it. This is within seconds. You know seconds. Chad Nelson. Nelson was just dropping f bombs. Pussy this. You Fuck can you that. Tell a lot about someone by Gigan looking at their says, body This language. is gay. It is gay. How does Mr. Floyd look in this photo? What a fucking pussy. Terrified? An officer on the driver's side, an officer on the passenger side. Lane orders Floyd to put his hands on the steering wheel. He does. That's not resistance. That's compliance. Lane orders Floyd to get out of the car. He does. That's not resistance. That's compliance. They order him. They want him handcuffed. He is handcuffed. That's not resistance. That's compliance. And on the handcuffs, you recall the testimony, they weren't properly double locked. And so they continue to ratchet. They're not on correctly. They're on too tight. Throughout, and you listen to the videos, throughout the videos, you can hear the sound of those handcuffs ratcheting tighter and tighter. Mr. Floyd is trying to explain to the police that his wrists hurt. Yeah, it is gay. Impervious to pain. Please. Please. His oh, wrists hurt. Sir! No one listens to him. Can we have some decorum, please. But it continues. They tell him to go over to the Dragon Walk over to the dragon walk. That's not resistance, that's compliance. They ask him to sit down, he sits down. Not resistance, <laughs> compliance. Not trying to escape, not trying to evade arrest, not trying to assault anybody, shoot anybody, stab anybody, punch anybody, no. Compliance. Sits down on the ground, they ask him his name, he gives his name. He spells it. We don't know. That's not resistance, that's compliance. They ask him to get up, he gets up. They ask him to go across the street, he goes across the street. Right, where's the resistance? Where's that? They take him over to the car, okay? They take him over to the car. George Floyd is a big guy, right? You can see here, I mean, he's almost as big as Officer Lane. He's a big guy. He's a big person, the back of For the you? squad car, is not. That's what they wanted him to get into. I didn't even check chat. And to George Floyd, that looked, he looked at that. What do you think that looked like? I wasn't even looking at chat, and I just like automatically said for you, and I went to look, and there were like three or four already. He tried to explain himself to the officers that he had anxiety, that he had claustrophobia. He explained this over and over. They wanted him to get in the back of this little car. And you know, he just wasn't able to bring himself to do it. He wasn't able to bring himself to do it. Green Danger says, I ain't no killer, but $20 is $20. True. Man, I'm scared as fuck, man. Man, we've heard this a hundred times. The weed is gonna go off on me, man. Pull your legs down. Okay. Polino White Strike says, Larceny Floyd and Polonius Floyd, what the fuck? The writers aren't even trying anymore. It's so nice that the judge gave him all this info. Too bad the jury has been intimidated and is he's going to convict anyways. Repeatedly, and even then it won't stop the rioting. And you can rioting. see this is where the defendant and Officer Tao start coming into the scene. That's what Polino right. said. He'll stream we'll, we'll that live slash too. what they saw in a minute, but they start to come this to the scene. This guy sucks anyway. We'll just talk over right. him. Nineteen-year <laughs> veteran of the police force, 
with all of the training that that involves, over 800 hours of training, 40-hour crisis intervention training course, a scenario-based training where they're taught to recognize the signs of someone who is experiencing a crisis. A crisis. You know, he couldn't bring himself to get in, and sometimes people can't bring themselves to get in, and this is not new. This is not groundbreaking. People have emotions. People have things happen to them. Uh, the police train for this. They recognize this. You, you don't get to meet the police on your best day very often. You don't call the police and say, everything's fine. I just wanted you. you to know, right? That doesn't happen. Okay. No, there's a whole range of humanity out there who have a whole range of different issues. I mean, it could be anything. It could be a death in the family. Right? That can cause an extreme emotional response. You know, recall when Officer Lane approached the car, George Floyd talked about losing his mother. He'd lost her in 2018. Those, those wounds still right there on the surface. Emotion. It could involve uh, a divorce, finding bad financial news. Mental illness, Sticking mental a gun health issues, woman's got, like drug and alcohol abuse. All of those things can cause someone to not resist, but just not be able to bring themselves to comply at that moment, at that time. And this is nothing new. They train for it. They plan for it. They prepare for it. They have a policy on it, right? Recognizing persons in crisis, you remember Chief Arredondo took the stand, he testified, he testified that they have 4,000 calls for service for persons in crisis every single year. This is nothing new. They're there on a $20 counterfeiting charge. They train for this. They know about this. Now, George Floyd certainly had his struggles, and you know that. The state put in evidence of that. Right? Courtney Ross testified that he struggled with an opioid addiction. You knew that. And this is nothing new. The, the difference, though, on May 25, 2020, the officers just wouldn't listen to him, wouldn't look at the signs, wouldn't recognize the signs of what they had prepared for. And a reasonable officer in the defendant's place, with all his training and all his experience, including that 40-hour crisis intervention course and a subsequent refresher course, should have known that and should have recognized it. Floyd was trying to get into the car. He was trying to work up the courage. He said he'd count to three, but he just couldn't do it. So the defendant arrives on the scene. He surveys the scene. He saunters up to the car and he slips on his gloves. Okay, what happened there? Oji says you don't have to get in the cop car just because they ask. It's in the Constitution. Exactly. He know it was the opposite. Y'all hear me? Don't do me like that, man. Okay, got the Oji's bleed. So you get in this car with the cop? I am with the cop. the phobic. I'm hearing you because you're not working with me. Get him, Gustafobic, right there, man. Get him in the front. 
Please. No, you're not in the car. I've got the phone. It's the car. Okay, man. Okay. I'm not a bad guy, man. In the car. I'm not a bad guy. You ain't gonna win. So, they don't listen. They just shove him into the car, into that tiny back seat. You saw the look on his face. You saw the look on George Floyd's face when he glanced over into that car. Looked like he'd seen a monster looking into that car. Clearly, this trained officer should have recognized that and understood at that moment and that time, well, what is your goal? Where does this, this critical thinking model go? Where'd that go? Where you take in information, you assess the information, you reassess the information, you consider what, what's the goal, what's the plan? You're there for a $20 counterfeiting charge, allegedly. Chief Arredondo <clears throat> testified they generally don't put people allegedly. in custody for that. So why is it necessary to shove them in the car? They made a judgment call, they decided to shove them in the car. The predictable thing to happen happened Right? He just couldn't be in the back of that car. And so they pull him out. They pull him out. And watch what happens. He was high as a kite. They pull him out of the car. What? You're not allowed to walk around fucking speedballing and shit. Get on the ground. On the ground. On the ground. All right, folks. They get him out of the car. The way he yells, man, I'm sorry. He is handcuffed. I didn't even want the guy to die, he but it's funny his the way he yells. He is not going anywhere. There's no call for that, really. There are four officers there. Four officers. And what did George Floyd say once they pulled him out of the car? Ah, ah! Like, okay, George, chill, man. Thank you. Now, a reasonable officer in the defendant's position at that time should have recognized... And understood. Like somebody sticking a hot poker in his eye or something. Ah, ah, he wasn't trying to punch ah, anyone, stab anyone. Like what the fuck? Well, wasn't trying to do that. The problem was the back of the car. Chose Just like George Floyd trying like to explain suit. over and over. Dark blue shirt, the problem dark blue was tie. the back of the car. So if you can give them like the benefit of the doubt, jacket. but they made a bad judgment call and shoved him in the back of the car, at least... When he came out in the struggle, it was over. He was on his knees. He was saying, thank you. Done. No need. Yeah, it like could have been, been over there. But what did they do? They took him from this position, handcuffed on his knees. They pushed him down onto the ground. Didn't need to. Not at all. For what? He's handcuffed. They pushed him down into what is, you now know, from watching the evidence in this case, the prone recovery position, right? When he's down on the ground, he's initially pushed, he is literally in the prone recovery position on the side. That allows the chest to expand and provides room for the lungs to expand and take in air so they can breathe. That is a step that protects against the known danger of positional asphyxia. And they have him there. He's right there. So then what happens after? They take him incredibly out of the recovery position and prone him on the ground. For what? The prone position is a transitory position. It's a position you use 
to secure someone in handcuffs, and when you're done with that, you immediately roll them on their side. Right? That's the position he was in. Proning him was completely unnecessary. And this is where the excessive force. Horace Cox Johnson says Floyd was like Hightower from this Police Academy. This is where Academy. the nine minutes and 29 <laughs> seconds start because they About didn't the just <laughs> lay him prone. They did not do that. They stayed on top of him. With a knee on the neck and a knee on the back and the defendant's weight on Mr. Floyd, pushing down with Officer King, adding to the pressure, pushing down, holding his feet, Officer Lane holding his feet. 900 live. For nine minutes and 29 seconds. That's when the excessive force began. That's when the countdown began. Now, you need to sort of pull back and take a look. You've, you've learned a lot about policies and procedures and tactics. You have to pull back and say, uh, would but for the defendant's actions pushing him down, would George Floyd have died that day? The drugs? He'd just miraculously die of a, die of a drug overdose in that time? Dick Masson. Uh, maybe it was just, the tailpipe. Just maybe it was him, his enlarged heart. Just called him the Adam family Use your common sense. With their names. Use your common sense. <laughs> Believe your eyes. What you saw, you saw. <laughs> oh, shit. Now, I'm going to talk to you a little bit about the law. <laughs> the judge has already instructed you. And uh, oh, it's good. necessary <laughs> to go over this a couple of times. It, you, you've learned you've gotten, to, oh, you've gotten to go to medical school here as jurors. You, there's so many benefits to being a jury. You got to, you got to go to medical school. You've got that free parking, great lunches, fabulous pay. So now you get a, a little bit of a free law school education. The judge gave you a preview of that. We're going to... We're going to go through that again. Uh, he's going to give you a copy of those instructions. You have them. You get to keep those. Miraculously, and, also and, catch and you use those show. during your jury deliberations. He told you that you know you don't you don't have to decide these issues in any order. You what was the timestamp? Do I don't know what you're talking you about. All see fit. I'll be making some suggestions as to the order. I think you should should do things that might focus your deliberations and just make the. The conversation uh, a little easier, a little more focused. Anthony but West you have says, these jury instructions play rock eye. you like I a think, hurricane uh, it, when Nelson starts. It's important for you to follow the judge's instructions to the letter. On the Cash App, he sent that. And the definitions that the judge gives you, they, they mean <laughs> what the judge says they I'm mean. And, and know that the state is required to prove these charges beyond a reasonable doubt. Proof beyond a reasonable doubt. He read this to you. Proof beyond a reasonable doubt is proof as ordinarily prudent men and women would act upon in their most important affairs. And a reasonable doubt is based on reason and common sense, not a fanciful or capricious doubt or beyond all possibility of doubt. And so reasonable doubt, it's just as the name implies. It's a doubt that's reasonable, a doubt based on reason and common sense. You as jurors are not required, nor should you, leave your common sense at the courthouse steps. As jurors, you must rely on your common sense. That's why you're here. We need you to apply that standard to these facts and to, to, to be a judge of the facts and apply those facts and findings of facts to the law. And so Just shut uh, up. proof beyond a reasonable doubt, it, it certainly is a high standard. It's the highest standard. It's a standard that the state has, has met here. I don't think so, honestly. 
I'm not and even being. The state does not need Michelle, to prove its case I, I don't think they bet it. Honestly, it does I not don't. need to prove its case beyond what I'll call an That being said, the tape's doubt. hard to get past, not though, for a lot to of people. So we'll an see. unreasonable doubt. An unreasonable doubt is a doubt not based on common sense, but based on nonsense. And you're not required to accept nonsense. You're not required to accept the notion that after the defendant kneeling on Mr. Floyd for nine minutes and 29 seconds in the dangerous prone position, handcuffed, restrained, pressing down on him, that after that, as he, as he was writhing in pain and suffering, that, that that's not even a use of force. There's no force there because it's not likely to produce pain. A witness testified to that. You're, you're not required to believe something that just flies in the face of common sense to believe that you would have to completely abandon all notion this of common glass sense. glass is annoying as fuck, Not likely dude. to produce this COVID pain. glass they have in front of them? You don't have to accept Like we're at the Nuremberg trials or some shit? The fuck out of who here. Who says that? Why don't we have the, the fucking headset thing? That would be better. They do have that, actually. You're not required to accept <laughs> the proposition that the car did it. <laughs> now the car killed about it. George Floyd. You're not required to accept that or to consider that it is the bystander's fault for distracting. Nelson just comes up and just rips You're that shit down. You're not required to believe this amazing coincidence that after this 9 minute and 29 second prone restraint, that at that point in time, even though he was walking and talking, even though he was breathing, interacting with people, that he chose that moment to die of heart disease to die of heart disease? Is that common sense or is that nonsense? Or that it was a, a drug overdose? You know that George Floyd struggled with drug addiction and drug use. You know that. You know he had developed a, a that requires a tolerance. You know what the toxicology report says in terms of the levels and you know what the testimony was about that die of a drug overdose it's not common sense that's nonsense believe your eyes what you saw happened happened i'd slap the fuck out of happened. you you're a pussy the defendant pressed down on george floyd so his lungs did not have the room to breathe dr tobin told you that dr smock dr rich the experts the experts who testified dr smock you can rely of course. on Dr. Smock, Dr. Rich, Dr. Eisenschmidt. They said like that commercial, right? They, they know a thing the or two out of because they've seen a thing or two. They know a thing or two. Dr. Tobin knows a thing or two about how this works. So um, looking at the charges, and, and this is a little bit of a different layout than you see in your printed jury instructions, and they're not uh, intended to replicate the instructions uh, completely, but uh, it's meant to be sort of a guide for you to look at the different elements. 940 live here and on the so court retort. The, Nelson uh, has not got up for the defense in the second yet. Degree, murder in We're the third degree, manslaughter in the second degree. The, the judge read you, you know, what the law says those things are, and the law breaks down these different charges into things called elements. First element, second element, third element, fourth element. And, each of these has to be proved beyond a reasonable doubt by, by the state. 
in order for the defendant to be guilty of those charges. Now, those are the elements that are required. Those are the only elements that are required. You know, again, like other preconceived notions, you may have some ideas, um, you know, from watching <coughs> TV about other cases uh, and shows and things. You you might have some other ideas as to what uh, the law Baby, requires. Thank you. But again, you know, just like you know, it's you know how it's lunchtime in court. And the judge tells you it's lunchtime. You know when it's time to go. The judge tells you it's time to go. Same thing. You know what the charges are. You know what the elements are because the judge tells you what the elements are. So you need to follow that. Okay. So talking about murder in the second degree. First, um, the death God, of this George guy is Floyd. Take way longer than I thought. Proved, isn't he? And, and I was thinking forty-five minutes. Proved that the defendant caused take 45 the minutes, death no big of deal. George Floyd. This guy's literally going to take off fucking more. Causes may have contributed to George Floyd's death does not relieve the defendant of any criminal liability. It just does not. And for murder in the second degree, that the defendant at the time of causing well, yeah, George he's Floyd's go death all the was committing or attempting to commit assault in the third degree. Like visually. That's a felony no. level assault under the laws of Minnesota. And uh, assault showed the defendant assaulted George Floyd that he intentionally applied unlawful force to Mr. Floyd without Mr. Floyd's consent, resulting in bodily harm. The state has to show that. The state did show that, the assault. And that the defendant inflicted substantial bodily harm on George Floyd. And that this act took place on or about May 25, 2020 in Hennepin County. Okay. So as to the first element, George Floyd died. Well, that was established. That was established uh, by the emergency room physician, Dr. Langenfield. George Floyd was pronounced dead at the Hennepin County Memorial Hospital on May 25, 2020. So that element is met. And, uh, and again, you can consider these elements any way you want to consider them. My suggestion is that you consider them in the order as listed here, murder two, murder three, manslaughter in the second degree, and in order of the elements, just because you know, there's a lot here. You know, there were 38 witnesses who testified. There are a lot of exhibits that were offered, and it's easy to talk about everything at the same time. Um, it really is. But it will help focus your deliberations if you look at these different uh, elements in order to have sort of a logical way to focus your deliberation. So I encourage you to do that, but you can do it any way you want. Okay. Second element, that the defendant caused the death of George Floyd. Okay. Causation. So what does that, that mean? What does causation mean here? It means that the defendant's act or acts were a substantial causal factor, a substantial causal factor in causing the death. He's criminally liable for all of the consequences of his actions that naturally occur, right? including those consequences brought about by intervening causes. The fact that other causes may have contributed to George Floyd's death just does not relieve the defendant of criminal liability. You have to find is that nine minutes and 29 seconds of compression on his knee, with his knees on his neck and on his back being held down was a substantial factor in George Floyd's death. I'm going to have to gavel this guy for being boring as fuck. Now, uh, if there was a superseding cause, 
then the defendant wouldn't be criminally liable. But the superseding cause, are, those are causes that come after the defendant's acts and alters the natural sequences of events. And we'd be thanking. I think I said that already. Is the sole sure. cause of death, and we don't have that here, right? Because we know how George Floyd died. This is the use of force. When we talk about use of force. That's been it's defined like had a by logo. witnesses who've testified. Might have to gavel this Looking at what happened from the point of the knee went to the neck and back. <laughs> and, and the unlawful the we put that on the shirt? assault. I bet I could sell about a thousand of those. How long it lasts, I swear to God, I could sell. Oh, are you seconds. kidding me? Oh, my God. That's what George Floyd, that's what killed George Floyd. <laughs> that's why he died. Holy you know, Believe shit. your eyes. Somebody crop that out for me. Unreasonable force, pinning him to the ground. Green danger, can you? <laughs> That's what killed him. This was a Holy homicide. Holy shit. Oh, you heard this from forensic pathologists, the, the experts. You, you, you've heard this. And the experts have weighed in. And, you know, Dr. Langenfield told you that Mr. Floyd died. Dr. Baker ruled this a homicide and told you the... <laughs> The cause and was of death. A, alive right now, he would die of boredom. Restraint and subdual by law enforcement. What they did killed him. Told you that. Dr. Tobin. Polino shocked him. Remember he, Dr. Tobin? He left for 20 minutes and came back and the guy's still going. how it yeah, happened. Yeah. He walked you through that. Yeah. The asphyxia. We remember that guy. Yeah. He told you how it happened. And the other uh, doctors who testified, Dr. Smock, Dr. Rich, uh, Dr. Eisenschmidt, they told you how it didn't happen wasn't a sudden cardiac event, wasn't a heart attack, wasn't a drug overdose, it wasn't any of those things. Right? Dr. Tobin came back and explained it wasn't carbon monoxide. Right? No. So you know how George Floyd died, and you heard this, and, but, but specifically, you know, Dr. Tobin uh, provided fairly extensive detail and was very clear that George Floyd died as a result of a low level of oxygen. This low level of oxygen caused a brain injury and a PEA arrhythmia, which caused his heart to stop. That's not a cardiac event. It's not that his heart disease, right, that, that didn't cause him to die. His, it was the low level of oxygen. It was the asphyxia that caused him to die. Right? And we know that that happened. We know that happened because they observed during the restraint at 2024-21, right? What did they observed they observed an anoxic seizure, right? a telltale sign of oxygen deprivation. Dr. Tobin told you that. Even Dr. Fowler told you that. And after Mr. Floyd experienced a seizure, he passed out. After his pulse stopped, his heart stopped. That cardiopulmonary arrest. That was the result of the police subdual and the restraint and the neck compression. We know from Dr. Tobin, George Floyd did not die primarily from a cardiac event, as has been suggested. Now, uh, George Floyd, he was not in perfect health. Sure, he had narrowed arteries, high blood pressure, no question about that. He was, no question, he was experiencing stress. You know, even before, uh, the officers shoved him onto the sidewalk unnecessarily, gratuitously disproportionately, but none of this caused George Floyd's heart to fail. It did not. His heart failed because the defendant's use of force, the 929, okay, that deprived Mr. Floyd of the oxygen that he needed, that humans need, to live. 
And Dr. Tobin knows because he is a pulmonologist. He's a lung doctor. He's a lung doctor. He's also a respiratory physiologist. He's the only person who testified who's able to calculate lung capacity, lung volume. He could do that. Dr. Baker couldn't do it, didn't do it. He deferred to the pulmonologist, the pulmonologist, Dr. Tobin. Dr. Fowler couldn't do it. He said he would defer to a pulmonologist. And Dr. Tobin, who also happens to be a, a critical care physician, he spent years treating patients, treating patients in intensive care who are experiencing respiratory failure. And Dr. Tobin literally wrote the book on the subject, and he was able to tell you, right, what this looks like, what he was able to observe. What he was able to observe was oxygen deprivation. It was asphyxia. It was asphyxia. Because under the conditions that Mr. Floyd was being restrained, that the defendant put him in, okay, that cut off uh, his oxygen, it would have cut off oxygen uh, of, of someone who was perfectly healthy, of anyone. The forces that were used in this situation right, it involved multiple factors. George Floyd was handcuffed. You know, he had an impaired arms and chest movement. He was placed prone. Oh, prone we got this graph on too. The sidewalk. <laughs> Is that George Floyd's face? On his neck Why does he look like one of those stone statues? The pavement, the look at that of drawing of George unyielding. Floyd. Is that not racist? It was like he was in a vice. That he was NPC being, you know, George Floyd. In a vice. What the fuck? And uh, he calculated, <laughs> right, between uh, oh, I gotta get Chauvin, this. Hold on. the defendant, fuck. Officer King, pushing down on him approximately 90 pounds of force. And the position and the force right, combined that. such that, that it was if, it was as if George Floyd's left lung had been surgically removed. That's how much of a reduction of air and what the police have known for 30 years. It should be back. But there's a danger so for the pissed. prone position and the danger is positional asphyxia. And the danger, the worst thing that can happen with positional asphyxia is death. And it wasn't just the lungs, the, the, the pressing up against the neck. Remember when you touch that, that it reduced the capacity of Fuck. airflow such that it, it was actually as if reset. Mr. Floyd oh my God, was so breathing gay. through a straw. It reset on YouTube? That's so fucking right. gay. The shallow breaths did not produce enough oxygen. I'm so pissed. Not enough oxygen could get to the lungs. We were like 20 away from 1,000. I'm and so pissed. And that's what killed George Floyd. And here's what didn't, right? Here's what didn't. This wasn't a sudden cardiac arrhythmia, right? Dr. Smock told you that. Dr. Thomas, Dr. Rich, Dr. Tobin, they agree. Not a sudden cardiac arrhythmia. That's not how this looks. Dr. Baker, no medical evidence of a heart attack. Okay. We heard from Dr. Rich. Dr. Rich actually treats people who have heart attacks. And he found there was nothing on his, in his review, nothing in George Floyd's heart to suggest that the death originated from the heart. Nothing. You know, over the course of this case, you heard a lot uh, of things that, that didn't happen and hypotheticals that don't apply, right? You know Fucking why God. George Floyd died. You know how he died. You heard a lot about drugs. You heard about his struggle with addiction. There's some things 
Um, you know, George Floyd was obviously not a perfect man. Who is? No one is. Right? So you heard about drugs. You heard about drugs in the car, some pills in the car, in the, in the squad car, in his car. You heard questions about, is he chewing gum? Does he have a pill in his mouth based on this free... None of that matters. Because you know what his level, the drug level was. You know that from the toxicology report. If, if, if drugs are found in the car, they're not in George Floyd's system. So there's no point in talking about those. Right? Let's talk about what was in his system and the toxicology report. And you heard from Dr. Eisenschmidt, right? And what he testified was that George Floyd's fentanyl to norfentanyl ratio, that the metabolite norfentanyl, that was well below the ratio of people who die from a fentanyl overdose. It was even below the median. And George Floyd's methamphetamine level, that was 94% lower than the, than the group for driving, population for driving under the influence. And Dr. Rich and Dr. Smock, They've treated patients who are under the influence of both fentanyl and methamphetamine, and they testified these drugs did not kill George Floyd. It didn't. We know that he had a, a tolerance because he used uh, drugs in the past, and the experts all agree, the videos show, that George Floyd did not die the way someone who dies from a fentanyl overdose dies. His breathing, it didn't slow down. He didn't fall asleep. He didn't go into a coma. Oh, this looked nothing like a fatal fentanyl overdose. Dr. Tobin, the only doctor in this case who actually calculated George Floyd's respiratory rate, and the best doctor to do so, given his training and given his experience, he stated that, that the fentanyl in George Floyd's system did not depress his respiration. It didn't. He did not die of a drug overdose. That's not how he died. He didn't die of excited delirium. You heard about excited delirium, right? Dr. Smock, uh, who testified about excited delirium, told you, explained to you, he didn't, uh, George Floyd did not exhibit any of the signs of excited delirium, one of which being super, superhuman strength. Nonsense. There's no superhuman strength. There's no superhuman strength. There are no superhumans impervious to pain. Nonsense. You heard him. You saw him. Oh, and Twitter's giving like... He was like, not impervious fake, to pain. It had Chauvin trail they tried to autofill. He's fucking... Paraganglioma. They're so shady. Suggestion that this tumor, which is literally called an incidental tumor, relatively rare, maybe causes headaches, but that, that, that caused his death? At that particular moment in time, at that time, at that place, after the restraint, after the subdual, after the nine minutes and 29 seconds, the tumor that causes headaches, that killed him? No. That's, that's just a story. And Dr. Rich specifically uh, testified that he looked in George Floyd's medical records <clears throat> and he did not find references to headaches. And you heard about carbon monoxide. The car killed him. Well, Dr. Tobin came back and explained, right, this car, which had a catalytic converter that was outside, that was a hybrid, and there's no evidence was even on, right, that that, that did not kill him, right? He explained carbon monoxide saturation level, 
I'm sorry, uh, oxygen saturation level. And based on his calculation of oxygen saturation level at 98%, right, at most there could have been a 2% carbon monoxide, same as anybody else, same as people walking around, talking, breathing. This wasn't carbon monoxide. That's just a story. And it's simply wrong. You, you don't have to be Dr. Tobin to recognize this. It's probably nice to be Dr. Tobin. But you don't have to be Dr. Tobin to recognize this. You can see this with your own eyes. You can see what happened. But he couldn't breathe. He said he couldn't breathe. The defendant was on top of him, on his on his back, on his neck, with his knees pressing down. Of course, you saw how his body just sort of deflated into the ground past the point of consciousness. There were multiple moments in time, ladies and gentlemen, multiple moments in time that things could have gone different and George Floyd would have lived. CPR. If he would have left him in the side recovery position in the first place, or just placed him in the side recovery position shortly after the restraint, he wouldn't have died. Their own force witness testified that putting somebody in the side recovery position is pretty fast. I'd slap easy the fuck thing out to of do. you. Not You're complicated. A, pussy, a fucking pussy ass bitch. Professor Stoughton said you just rotate him 90 degrees quick. Could have done that. Relieve the pressure. Could have done CPR, chest compressions. Was supposed to have a policy. Chill, had a oh, policy oh, was supposed to oh, follow. Here in a, minute, a duty Sorry, to provide please. medical aid. You're not just supposed to phone that in. You're actually supposed to use your training, provide the medical aid. Even Dr. Fowler was critical. No one starting CPR said that should have been done. Defendant knew how to do it. He had the training. He knew better. He just didn't do better. George Floyd didn't have to die that day, shouldn't have died that day. But for the fact the defendant decided not to get up and not to let up, George Floyd died. These actions were a substantial that factor. That image, it's like NPC George Floyd, I swear to God. In George Floyd's death. And these actions make no mistake, these actions were not policing. These actions were an assault. So, as the judge instructed you, for second-degree murder, and it's, it's actually very simple, if you find that the defendant committed this third-degree assault, while committing the assault, he caused George Floyd's death, defendant's guilty of murder. That's the way felony murder oh, works in God. Minnesota. So there are two elements. Right. But the defendant assaulted George Floyd. Now, what does that mean? Assault is the intentional infliction of bodily harm upon another or the attempt to Polina do so. Polina Whitestrake said, intentional infliction are they allowed of to say whatever harm. they want in that closing requires proof arguments? That defendant Sounds like some of this is opinions, not facts. Force yeah, they pretty much are. Without that person's <laughs> consent. And then the act resulted in A lot more leeway. Okay. Intentional. Did it on purpose. He did the thing on purpose. Bodily harm, physical pain, illness, or impairment of a person's physical condition. So again, to be very, very clear, 
The state does not have to prove that the defendant had an intent to kill George Floyd. This was uh, an intentional act that you see before you. He, he did this on purpose. And that's clear. He didn't, again, trip and fall and find himself there. And this was also unlawful force. Officers are only authorized by law to use reasonable force. And this was not reasonable force, as I'll explain. And, and George Floyd clearly did not consent to having the defendant's knee on top of him for nine minutes and 29 seconds. When you hear someone gasping for breath, calling for their mother, begging you to get off, what, what how could you think anything else that he did not consent to this? Now, the state does not have to prove what we don't have to prove about intent. We don't have to show that the defendant intended to cause George Floyd harm. We don't have to show that. You don't need to find that the defendant was trying to cause harm or had the purpose to cause harm to conclude that this was an assault. You do not. State doesn't have to show that the defendant intended to violate the law. We don't have to show that. We don't have to show that the defendant intended to kill him. The only thing that the the, the only thing about defendant's intent that we have to prove is that he applied force to George Floyd on purpose. That this wasn't an accident, and it's pretty simple. You know, if you're doing something that hurts somebody and you know it and you keep doing it, you're doing it on purpose. Somebody's telling you they can't breathe and you keep doing it, you're doing it on purpose. What else is going to happen when you push somebody down on the pavement? Everybody knows this. Everybody knows what happens when you push somebody against the pavement. You learn this pretty early on. We learn this pretty early on. Assault in the third degree uh, requires that the defendant inflicted substantial bodily harm on George Floyd. Right? Substantial bodily harm meaning a temporary but substantial uh, loss or impairment of the function of a bodily member or organ, organs, the lungs, the heart. Temporary loss of consciousness qualifies as substantial bodily harm. Certainly a permanent loss of consciousness would constitute substantial bodily harm. You'd look at this point in the restraint and you see the absence of expression, the absence of mus muscle tension. He's unconscious. He's lost consciousness. That's substantial bodily harm. He did that. That's his knee. So when you consider the charge of second degree murder, try to break it down into parts and find an order. The defendant caused George Floyd's death. He did. The state proved that beyond a reasonable doubt. And at the time of causing the death, the defendant committed or was attempting an assault in the third degree. And that's been proved beyond a reasonable doubt. 
with those being proved in the venue, right? second degree felony murder, the defendant is guilty. So um, going back and talking about murder in the third degree, you can see that uh, there's some elements in <sighs> this common. This guy's about to be guilty of murder in the third degree when I passed away. Uh, we've already discussed the first element of the death of George Floyd, the substantial causal factor with the second element, and then the fifth element about the, uh, the venue element, I'll call it, May 25, 2020. We're almost back up to 900. Thank you, guys. Sorry about the so stream error. It's a driver thing murder. with NVIDIA. Uh, I'm going to work after the stream to try to fix that for tonight. But The defendant had to cause George Floyd's death by committing an act that was eminently dangerous and performed without regard for human life. And again, the state is not required for this charge either to show that the defendant intended to kill George Floyd, that he committed an act that was eminently dangerous and performed without regard for human life. And it, and it must prove, the state must prove that uh, the act was highly likely to cause death, that the defendant acted with a reckless disregard for human life, that this was a, he was consciously indifferent, consciously indifferent to loss of life that his actions could cause. The defendant's act was eminently dangerous to others. It was likely to cause death to Mr. Floyd. And as if common sense in and of itself would not suffice, the dangers of prone restraint of positional asphyxia has been known in the law enforcement community for about 30 years. Right? This is known, if common sense wasn't enough. Defendant's own use of force witness admits that. And again, when we talk about danger, what is the danger? What's a potential danger of positional asphyxia? It's death. Right? The medical experts who know a few things, who know a thing or two, right? Dr. Tobin, Dr. Smock, Dr. Rich, they agreed. The defendant's actions created a high risk of death. And the defendant consciously disregarded the loss of life that his actions could cause in, and did cause. He knew the risks of positional asphyxia due to this position. Everybody in law enforcement knows that, but he had other warnings, not just from his training, he had other warnings from people. Okay, it stopped. Oh, it's because they're cursing. He's breathing right now, bro. You think that's cool? You think that's cool, though, right? Wait, wait. What's your name right now, bro? Don't pass out. They muted it first. They muted it first. God, I hate that. Fucking Carol Levin is such bro? pussies, you're dude. You're a bum, bro. You're, you're a bum for that. You're bum for that, bro. We can't, we can't take the chance. We gotta hear it over here. That's cool, though, bro. You're bum, bro. You're, you're bum. We're gonna have to listen to it over here for a minute. You're bum for that, bro. You get mad. You just sitting there stopping his breathing right now. The dude about to go out right now, bro. Right. It was plain and apparent to everyone who was there what was happening. He's going unresponsive. He's passed out. He's not talking. What are you doing? Now we know that the defendant chose not to listen to bystanders, not to these bystanders, but how about to fellow officers on the scene? Lambo, thank you for that milkshake, by the way, that I missed. 
Roll him on his side, staying put where we got him. That's what the defendant said. He's staying put where we got him. Roll him on his side means roll him into the side recovery position. He could have listened to the bystanders. He could have listened to fellow officers. He could have listened to his own training. He knew better. He just didn't do better. He knew that kneeling on somebody's neck, in addition to the positional asphyxia, just the pressure, is dangerous. Anyone can tell you that. A nine-year-old can tell you that, did tell you that. Conscious indifference? Indifference? Do you want to know what indifference is and sounds like? I'm too. Uh, I'm talking to me. My stomach hurts. Uh-huh. My neck hurts. Uh-huh. Everything hurts. Ah, there's water or something. Please. Please. Ah-ha. I can't breathe. Ah. Hey, talk ah. talking. Bobby, y'all can kill me. Hey, well, give me, man. Ah-ha. Takes a heck of a lot of oxygen, though. Indifference. Leisurely picking rocks out of the tire. Commenting about the smell of the man's feet who you're pressing down, grinding on as his voice slows and fades as he tells you, you're going to kill me. I can't breathe. My stomach hurts. Uh-huh. My neck hurts. Uh-huh. Everything hurts. It takes a lot of oxygen to complain about it. Indifference. Did the defendant ever listen? Ever consider medical attention? No one defended that decision, the failure to give CPR, not even Dr. Fowler. This isn't protection. This isn't courage. Okay, audio and it certainly, certainly is not and was not compassion. It was the opposite of that. So back to the instructions and the elements of third-degree murder. When you're deliberating, ask yourselves, did the defendant cause the death of George Floyd by an intentional act that was imminently dangerous to others? Absolutely. The state proved that. Did the defendant act with a mental state consisting of reckless disregard for human life, a conscious indifference to the loss of life that the dangerous, that the imminently dangerous act could cause? Yes, he did. And you will find, based on that, that the state has proved the defendant is guilty of third-degree murder as charged. So back to the charges, let's talk about manslaughter. Oh, let's get back degree. to those, of course. And again, you can see that there's some elements in common. The first, 
the third is in common with the this other charges. So what's different about manslaughter in the second degree is that the defendant caused the death of George Floyd by culpable negligence. Culpable negligence, where created an unreasonable risk and consciously uh, took a chance of causing death or great bodily harm. And again, you do not need to prove, the state does not need to prove that he uh, intended to, uh, that he intended to kill George Floyd. Culpable neg negligence, intentional conduct, that the defendant may not have even intended to be harmful, but that an ordinary and prudent, reasonably prudent person would recognize as involving a strong probability of injuries to others. You can look for yourself and you can see exactly what was happening. The bystanders who were at the scene looked for themselves and it was plain to them. They took video, you saw it, it was plain to you. Strong probability of injury and with the defendant, his specialized knowledge about the dangers of positional asphyxia and the common sense that if you put your knee on somebody's neck, there's a strong probability of injury, he knew that too. Great bodily harm, bodily injury that creates a high probability of death. Permanent or protracted loss or impairment of the function of a bodily member or organ. The heart, the lungs loss of consciousness. Would an ordinary and reasonably pers prudent person know that this is dangerous? Everybody who watched knew it was dangerous. A nine-year-old saw that it was dangerous. And the defendant knew exactly what he was doing because he was right on top. He was right on top of him. But his negligence goes beyond his intentional assault of Mr. Floyd, his negligence. Lord Aragon, thank you. He says, "Hey, Ralph, just woke up. I know I missed a lot. In LOL. Your yeah, you have. Means in but your a lot care. of it's been just boring ass in shit from this dude too. Means so in your care, there is a duty. You did miss Larsenia. Medical assistance. That, that was pretty duty epic. Includes not only calling the ambulance for That's somebody Floyd's else. Floyd's mom's name. It means that you have to use your knowledge, Along with Thelonious and Convictus. As a first responder. No shit. That's You're required bullshit. to perform CPR. It's a requirement. He failed to do it. He had the training. He knew how to do it. You've seen his training records. It's Exhibit 119. You can take a look at all of the in-services, all of the hours. He knew what to do. He just didn't do it. He knew better. He didn't do better. He wouldn't even let Genevieve Hansen, the off-duty firefighter, do it. If he wasn't going to do it himself, he'd let somebody else do it. But he didn't. He had the knowledge, he had the tools, he just ignored it. So when you consider this charge, that the defendant caused George Floyd's death by culpable negligence, where he took an unreasonable risk and consciously took a chance of causing death or great bodily harm, you will find that element has been proved beyond a reasonable doubt, that he is guilty of second-degree manslaughter, guilty of all three charges. So after all of this, you have another uh, question you have to address. After seeing all of this, finding the assault, finding the murder was committed, the manslaughter was committed, you have another thing to consider, and that is 
was this just okay? Was this fine? Is this okay because the defendant was a police officer? Was this an authorized use of force? Their audio is messed up again. Polina Whitestrake says, this is such a joke. Prosecution pretending like they give a shit about the rule of law while they let the fucking mob do anything they want and let them walk away. Death of America broadcast on TV. Police officer may lawfully use and executing his duties. It's limited by what a reasonable police officer in the same situation would believe to be necessary and force beyond that is just not reasonable. You look at the facts that a reasonable police officer in the same situation would have known at the precise moment that the officer acted with force. What is up with this shit? To see whether these actions, That's their the shit, actions were objectively reasonable. Was this objectively reasonable? No. We just saw the instruction that the law does not provide uh, an excuse for police abuse. It does not. Let's let's start with the most basic of premises. That's very important. 9-10, getting close to but our old number. Restraining George Floyd in this manner. On the ground, prone, handcuffed, knee on the neck, knee on the back, body weight on top of him. Start with the premise that that, in fact, was a use of force. The defense called a witness who actually testified that that was not a use of force because that is not likely to produce pain. No. No. Not true. Likely to produce pain, actually produce pain. You know, the problem with terms like superhuman, superhuman strength, you forget that those people don't exist. Humans feel pain. Human beings feel pain. Human beings need to breathe. Don't accept any notion to the contrary. You need to reject that testimony. You need to reject it. And let's discuss the standard. What would a reasonable police officer do? Should have been resting comfortably. What would a reasonable police officer do? You don't look at this from George Floyd's perspective. Okay? It's not what a if reasonable officer Only man. he had rested comfortably. The bystanders' perspective. What would a reasonable bystander? Is it is it just their feed? I don't know. We gotta check the other feed now. Over and over that the defendant is not that officer because he did not act as a reasonable officer would. Their audio does sound better on Care Eleven, though. I gotta say. Remember Charles McMillan? Right. Well, yeah. You keep talking about that old explained fuck. Explained his actions. He explained the basis of I forget? his actions. You won't let me to Charles McMillan. You recall that. Here's what he said. Yeah, and I thought, I thought he like didn't get in the car. It looks like he's probably on something. That was his justification for using this level of force. He's a big guy. He's a sizable guy. And he's he awesome. might be on something. We have to control him. Control is the restraint. So that's the force. Okay. His two justifications were that George Floyd was big and that he might be on something. He was on well, something. you know the standards. You've heard the standards many times. You know the difference between a risk and a threat. Officers are authorized to use force to respond to a threat. They're not authorized to use force to respond to a risk. Anybody poses well, a potential a risk. 
big, small, in between. Everybody's a risk. Not everybody's a threat. Being large, the act of being large, it's not a crime. It's not a risk. Sorry, it's not a threat. It's yeah, merely a you're risk. You're fucking your own shit up. Being on something. Makes sense. Being on something. It's not a threat. It may be a risk, but it's not a threat. And force is not authorized against someone merely because they're on something. And when questioned, their force expert witness conceded that the combination of the two, being large and being on something, is not a justification for the use of force. It just isn't. That's not what they get to do. Right? So the defendant's entire basis, his explanation to Charles oh, McMillan at the time, at the scene, right afterwards, after he got up off of Mr. Floyd and tossed him Jetski on the 69 says, pay attention, like kids. Nothing. It doesn't matter if you're guilty or innocent. The government will that railroad you if it wants to. They it's have unlimited enough. money and wide latitude. Watch it's with the prosecution. Procedure. Is able it's to get not away the with. use of force policy. Is not following the rules. Well, we yeah. talked a lot about things that might have happened, could have happened, potentials, hypotheticals. Talked about a lot of stuff that didn't happen. You need to focus on what did happen. What did happen? George Floyd was not a threat. He never was. He wasn't resisting. He just wasn't able to comply. They should have recognized that. They should have recognized that. They do it all the time. They had him handcuffed. They had plenty of resources. They had four officers. They had a fifth one I off in the distance. He was handcuffed behind his back. He wasn't going anywhere. He wasn't doing anything. He didn't need to be put in the prone position. That's a temporary position to facilitate handcuffing. But the defendant was on top of him, stayed on top of him, grinding his knees into him pressing down on him, continuing to twist his arm, twist his wrist, so it would buck up against the handcuff. A pain compliance technique without the opportunity to comply is simply the infliction of pain. Not a reasonable use of force. And that's not authorized by the Minneapolis Police Department. Kneeling on top of someone, on their neck and their back, effectively they were using a maximal restraint technique. Effectively, Remember the hobble, the rip hobble? You heard about that? They considered using it. They thought about using it. Decided not to. They didn't need to. Right? Because it wasn't doing anything that would warrant it. But if you're going to restrain someone like that completely, holding them down, the policy authorizes the use of the hobble, the rip hobble. Right? They didn't do that. The policy about applying the rip hobble is, again, you have to put the person immediately in the side recovery position. Now, why didn't they do that? The conduct didn't warrant it. They knew it. They didn't want to get a sergeant, have to get a sergeant down there to do a force review. It's Memorial Day. You heard that comment. They talked about that. So they just held him in this dangerous position against policy. A reasonable officer wouldn't do that. A reasonable officer follows the rules. A reasonable officer follows the training. 
force that He's carries a, a risk cannon. of death <laughs> is deadly force. And you recall the MPD defense well, the uh, tactics now, now and control guide. Faces status. Like deadly force is just not authorized in this situation. No force when someone is passed out on the ground, unresponsive. No. You really can't even claim that Mr. Floyd was engaged in passive resistance. At this point, remember Charles McMillan? He kept saying, get up and get in the car. Get up and get in the All car. All right, I'll do a poll. And George Floyd said, I will. I can't. I'll he do one now. The opportunity. Ignore He's numbers in the get chat. Up and get in the New car. poll. He isn't given the opportunity to do that. That's not resistance. One for not guilty, two for guilty, three for hung jury. It must be reasonable. It must be reasonable at the point it starts, at the point it ends, and all points in between. Officers are required to reassess the situation, to reevaluate the situation, to take in the information and react to it. Looks like the three. Defendant didn't do it. Pretty much one. That defense has made the argument that the crowd justified defendant's use of force. Like the blame should fall. I think a hung jury kind of is a mistrial, by the way. For displaying concern. I think they count that. I think life. that's called a mistrial, technically. What? That this was a distraction, that there was some concern. Uh, the defendant doesn't appear too concerned. It wasn't the Once again, bystander's that's, fault. That's one. A 19-year listen, police let's veteran. Do it. Let's do it again. Let's do it again. One is not guilty. Two is guilty. Three is hung jury slash mistrial. Distracted by the comments of a 17-year-old or being filmed by some civilians. There's a policy about filming. They understand that civilians can film them. And it doesn't matter one step. It has the same fucking effect. It literally doesn't matter at all. So. It isn't something new or earth-shattering or or even particularly If it's a mistrial uh, or hung jury, same difference. Um, Sergeant uh, Steiger, you recall him from LAPD. He used to patrol on Skid Row. He talked about people throwing rocks and bottles. This is, they have a phone, the phones. They're expressing concern. They're not doing anything. This is yeah, not it looks like the justification for, for an assault, for murder. Defense suggested in their cross-examination that reasonable minds can disagree right, or that some of the witnesses don't line up exactly where the force began or what exactly should be done. But don't get caught up in that. Don't miss the forest for the trees. Consider the testimony as a whole. Officer after officer after officer got on that stand, raised their hand, and told you, the chief of police, right, that this conduct, so a the 929, violates the use this of not force policy. Shit. Violates oh the department's core value. A mistrial is a trial that has essentially been deemed invalid due to an error that occurred in the proceedings or because the jury was unable to reach a consensus regarding the verdict. If the jury was unable to get enough votes for a verdict, that is a hung jury. So, In charge of all training, looked at this and said, I don't even know what this is. I don't know what this modification is. So if this there's like one or two holdouts and then... This, the the rest want to convict. That's a mistrial, basically, from what they're saying. Lieutenant Mercer, but under common understanding, looked at this. Most people think of that as a hung jury, without equivocation, not an MPD trained tactic. It is not. We don't train our people to do this. You can present 
a thousand hypothetical situations. You can talk about what didn't happen all day long into next week. But when you talk about what did happen on that day, at that time, that's what they said. Use of force, unreasonable. Supervisor, Sergeant Pluger, the force should have ended right after Mr. Floyd was on the ground. Yeah, he's still going. His supervisor dude. said that. Lieutenant Zimmerman, the oldest serving, or I should say the most years of service on the Minneapolis Police Department, longest serving, correct myself, longest serving member of the department. What did he say? He looked at this. He said this was totally unnecessary, totally unnecessary, a use of deadly force, not reasonable. Only reasonable force is authorized. Sergeant Steiger. Oh, no. Somebody made NPC Los Angeles Police Department. I don't even think I can retweet that. Thousands. Holy shit. Of police officers. Shout out Iron Ken. Holy fuck. He looked at this. This is objectively unreasonable force. Professor Stoughton. Professor Stoughton, former police officer, University of South Carolina Law School professor. This use of force was unreasonable, it was disproportionate, and it violates national standards. The experts agree. Because the force has to be reasonable when it starts, it has to be reasonable when it ends, and what is happening? If you look at the bottom, George Floyd is handcuffed and on the ground. They must be paying this motherfucker by the word today. What is he saying? He's saying, I can't breathe 27 times within the first four minutes and 45 seconds of this encounter. He's saying that. And the defendant continues to kneel on his back and neck, continue the dangerous restraint. George Floyd says, into the restraint at 822.24, my stomach hurts, my neck hurts, anything, everything hurts. Defendant heard that, he heard those words. Was George Floyd resisting when he was trying to breathe? No, no. And the defendant heard it and he acknowledged it and all he did was mock him. Uh-huh, it takes a lot of oxygen to complain. That's what he said. It takes a lot of oxygen to say that. When George Floyd gave his final words to the defendant, please, I can't breathe. I can't breathe, crying out for help by the man in, for the man in uniform. <laughs> the defendant stayed right on top of him, ignored it, continued doing what he was doing, facing the crowd, grinding his knee, twisting his hand. I think he's passing out, Officer Lane says. Officer King can't find a pulse. Now, the greatest skeptic of this case among you, how can you justify the continued force on this man when he has no pulse, no pulse, continued the restraint, continued grinding and twisting and pushing him down and crushing the very life out of him. It wasn't too late. He could have rolled him over, performed CPR. But no, he continued past the point of finding a pulse, past the point where the ambulance arrives, past the point where the EMTs get out of the ambulance. What's the goal? What's the plan here? What are we trying to accomplish? 
This was a counterfeit $20 bill, allegedly. What is going on? Why? Why hold him that long, past that point, past that line that was crossed? Oh, unreasonable force. Unreasonable. Not proportional. 317. Oh my God! Violated. We finally crossed 1K Policy for the Corps Resort. Law. Yes! It violated. On closing everything. arguments day, we were so close so many Police times. Department. Stood 319 for. on YouTube, 685 here Use that on phrase. Trovo. I just happened to look down or I would have missed it. Oh, wow. Right, Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. Waffle. Let's go! Let's go! It's, it's just awful. Yeah! We crossed the threshold! Fuck yeah, I was so hoping we were doing today. Guilty I have something to celebrate. Murder. I have something to celebrate this murder. with. He's guilty I want to make sure it's loud enough, though. Manslaughter. All of them. This has certainly been loud enough. Because this was not a justified use of force. You cannot justify this use of force. Bit. It's impossible. I'd slap the fuck out of you. What? You're a pussy. A fucking pussy ass <laughs> bitch. Sworn officer to protect and serve. Wow. But a sworn officer. That oath that Nelson, they take. Hold on. You're going to get your chance. Lenane, thank you. Fancy you know, pants, thank you. At the beginning of my comments, I talked about George Floyd's life, how he was surrounded by people who cared about him. Stacy, thank you. I see the chat. Surrounded by familiar faces, people he could look out to in the crowd. But at his death, he was surrounded by strangers. Um, they were strangers, but you can't say they didn't care. You can't say that. These people were randomly chosen from the community. People from the community randomly chosen by fate. And they were coming from different places, and they were going to different places, and they had different purposes, all of them. Random members of the community, all converged by fate at one single moment in time to witness something, one to witness nine moment. minutes and 29 seconds of shocking abuse of authority to watch a man die and there was nothing they could do about it because they were powerless they were utterly powerless because even they respected the badge even seeing this happening they tried they cried out at first pointed out hey you can get up off him it became more and more desperate as they watched us go on and on and on and there was nothing there was nothing they could do all they could do all they could do was watch and gather what they could, gather their memories, gather their thoughts and impressions, gather those precious recordings. And they gathered those up and they brought them here and they brought them here and they got up on the stand and they testified and they bore witness to what they saw. They bore witness to this outrageous act and they told you about it and they gave you what they had. Their thoughts, their impressions, their memories. They gave you those precious recordings so you can see this. You can see this from every single angle. <laughs> they gave that to you. <laughs> they were powerless to do anything with that. Oh my God, what they a fucking loser. Randomly selected Somebody people. Hold on, we, we got to play it back, don't we?
every single angle because they gave you those precious recordings so you can see this you can see this from every single angle they gave us marco rubio they were powerless Phone to do party anything boy oh my god and we give it to the government in trust love now by the way for us to hold and to use i could have played it again we will see Sometimes it again for sure we take it back Sometimes when something is, is really Chevy important, his prime? we is reserve a, those decisions for ourselves. The state, we have power. We cannot convict the defendant. The judge has power, but he cannot convict the defendant. That power, that power belongs to you. You have that power, and only you have the power to convict the defendant of these crimes and in so doing and in so doing declare that this use of force was unreasonable it was excessive it was grossly disproportionate it is not an excuse for the shocking abuse so that said, you saw with your own I'm eyes so and you can believe your own eyes shit. Yeah, it is. this case is exactly what you thought when you saw it first, when you saw that video, it is exactly that. You can believe your eyes. 1010. It's exactly what you believed. It's We're going exactly to the what moon. you saw with your eyes. It's exactly what you knew. It's what you felt in your gut. It's what you now know in your heart. This wasn't policing. This was murder. The defendant is guilty of all three counts, all of them, and there's no excuse. Thank you. Oh, finally. Well, we're going to have to break now probably, though, or are we? Members of the jury, we're going to take a 20-minute break, and just for your information, we'll also take a 20-minute break after the defense uh, argument before the state's rebuttal and the final instructions. The state gets a rebuttal, for those who don't know, which always struck me as unfair, really. I don't understand. But uh, they do get a rebuttal, yeah. All right, Lou, we're taking a 20-minute break now. We just listened to Steve Slisher talk, uh, give the closing arguments, I should say. Should I go back and play it again? How far back Uh, was it? What are your immediate impressions? Well, he he spent a lot of time going through. uh, How how far back was it? Let's see. The power actually belongs to us. It's all the same, though, dude. I don't even know to, if I can find to what Wait. they saw. They bore witness. It's like to all this the outrageous same, dude. act, and they told you about it, and they gave you what they had. Now this when he walks their over thoughts, there, though, their impressions, this, their memories. It? They gave you those precious recordings, so you can see this. You can see this from every single angle. <laughs> they gave that to you. It's see that. this from every single angle. <laughs> oh. those pre- gave you what they had. Their thoughts, their look impressions, look their this, memories. Look at they, this stylish guy. What a suit. What a suit. What a what an, uh, a great and accomplished jurist. Just laying out the case for the state. One of the great jurists of his time. Whatever the fuck his name is. Random scrub number three for the state of Minnesota. Precious recording so you can see this. You can see this from every single day. Whoa. Oh. No. They that gave was, that to you. By the way, you've been building up the whole time, like over an hour. 
I don't even know what the final count was on the time. Somebody on Twitter might have it. It was uh, very lengthy. Uh, let's just put it that way. Bonk. Yeah, he got bonked. You. Well, we heard the state use the phrase unreasonable and excessive, and at some point I started to wonder if they were describing the closing. Uh, it just went too long. And uh, uh, there was. Uh, I'm very hopeful that the rebuttal on this case will kind of focus the jury into what is just gold on the floor left in the trial courtroom during the course of this trial. Help them see the bigger picture. This is, again, I always say, I'm a defense attorney, but I think the state has a habit that they cannot seem to break (laughs) of boring the bejesus out of anyone. Wait, no somebody how said, good the plot. We got to hear it again. God, he's so right, but we need to hear all this again anyway. Let's be honest. This guy's a legend. Attorney A.L. Brown joining us today. Thanks for joining us, I want to hear it again so I can tweet it out, too. Good morning. Good morning. Or good afternoon, is it, already? Getting close. I'm not sure anymore. Getting close. <laughs> Tell me your initial thoughts on, on what we watched this morning. Well, we heard the state use the phrase unreasonable and excessive, and at some point I started to wonder if they were describing the closing. Uh, it just went too long. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, there was, uh, I'm very hopeful that the rebuttal on this case will kind of <laughs> focus the jury into what is just gold on the floor left in the trial courtroom <laughs> during the course of this trial. Help them see the bigger picture. This is, again, I always say I'm a defense attorney, so I've got a different perspective. But I think the state has a habit that they cannot seem to break of boring the bejesus out of anyone, no matter how good the plot, no matter how good the evidence. Uh, What we just witnessed, I think, um, was probably going to be disappointing, not only to the Floyd family, who has so much um, built on he the, thinks they're going to lose. On sounds like doesn't argument, but also to sounds the like he wants them to win, but they're going to lose. Is probably what he Eric Nelson's most confident moment during the trial, and it's uh, by operation of the closing argument we just heard. Will it ultimately prevail? Maybe, but there were so many other ways to spend two hours today uh, on such an important issue, and I, I, I don't think it was a good use of our time. And so, Al, can you uh, give us some specifics of, of where you think uh, they should have spent more wow, of their time and where based. they should have spent less of their time in that opening statement? Well, I think it's, I think it's about less time. Uh, for instance, I don't understand for the life of me why they are arguing the state's case. Why? You have a rebuttal. I'm sorry, arguing the, the defense's case. You have a rebuttal coming. You have an opportunity. Whatever Eric Nelson says about... Mr. Chauvin, you've got Jerry Blackwell coming right behind him to say that's nonsense, that's foolishness, here's why that's wrong, that's silly. You see all the silly stuff they put up against the wall? That's because they don't want you to believe your eyes. So why in the world would you spend all the... Oh, they cut him up. Mysterious problems. Oh, uh, no. Okay. Yeah, we have uh, some technical difficulties. He was, so, yep. was so based. Yep. Uh, so we'll get back to Al in just a second. So why don't we take based. a listen back at some of uh, Steve Slisher's opening statements. The guys, oh, oh, no, what a shame. What a shame. His connection has been terminated. What a damn shame. That's too, that's too tough. This is the defendant. I don't want to hear this guy anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, fuck. Oh my god! 
he's I can't a, go ahead of this. A police officer. Live it's now. not the state versus the uh, police. He's not on trial for who he was. He's it was on like trial we had gold. Speaking of did. gold on the floor, is like, what he we did. had gold. We had A.L. Brown he here laying down the law. And now we got to go back to Nine this Nine minutes cup. and 29 seconds. Dangerous. That is what he did. He didn't follow training. Those hundreds of hours of training that he had, he did not follow the department's use of force rules. He did not perform CPR. He knew better. He just didn't do better. And so, A.L., glad to have you oh, back with us so here. Uh, you froze up a little bit mid-sentence there, so we definitely want to hear the rest of your thought. And also, if you could comment on uh, kind of the strategy that Steve Slisher used as far as separating Derek Chauvin from the rest of police. He said a couple times that police are not on trial here. Like, this bad police is on trial here is, is the way that he put it to the jury. Completely unnecessary, to, to quote Lieutenant Zimmerman, to make that separation. Um, why not take advantage of that opportunity to, to say what everyone on the jury already knows? There's been a subsequent killing in the Twin Cities. They know there's a problem. Just as a matter of strategy, why take that away? Um, here's the point I wanted to, to make, Lou, about uh, arguing the, the defense's case in your uh, primary opening, I mean, in your primary closing. You've got Jerry Blackwell who's going to come back and clean all of whatever Eric Nelson says up. Why not focus on your great case? You have more gems to show the jury. Uh, you have an embarrassment of good evidence from scientific to having the chief of police testify. You've got this video uh, uh, that is so compelling that only a, a prosecutor could mess it up, okay? So that's where we are with this. Uh, I really hope that uh, for all of those who believe that there should be a conviction based on the evidence that we've seen, the jurors that are sitting at home, so to speak, uh, I hope that, uh, that there's some serious cleanup done uh, on rebuttal. I, I didn't like at all the idea that he was suggesting that the uh, I think he said, this is where the excessive force began. No, the excessive force began the moment the cop showed up on a $20 ticket, a $20 a fraudulent Hulk case. Hulk Hogan, he's in the house. The, the window with a oh, gun. Shit. Why do you start the excessive force so far into the in, into the abuse? The excessive force started when the cop shows up. And you know, he's raising a good point. Why the prosecution? That's when the excessive force started. Honestly, he would have been a lot tougher to do with these, and these clowns. And maybe the state isn't the right He's right, he though. to do it exactly what excessive force is, how police are supposed to interact I mean, with the people they are protecting. Whether you agree with what he's saying, like that's a much better case than what the fuck they just laid out. Hulk Hogan says, here's some manna while I'm at work. Thank you, sir. Actually, yeah, no, actually that's elixir, but whatever. <laughs> Thank you. Here's some elixir while I'm at work. I don't want to confuse people again. Here's some elixir while I'm at work. Shout out to Podcast Gang Gang. Thanks, Ethan, brother. Thank you. Each Oster. charge, second degree murder, third degree murder, so second pumping degree the iron manslaughter, midday. and why they felt like they proved that Derek Chauvin was guilty. Do you think they got that? Yeah, point see, to the exactly, A.L. Anderson. That's at the very least a sensible argument. Yeah. You've made it clear, you know, what you think about these closing arguments. Do you think that weighs on the jury as well? Somebody says he's just bashing just the prosecutor because he's white. I don't know, maybe. Uh, but I think he's making a lot more sense. I mean, now he obviously wants to see Chauvin convicted. He said that from the start. Like, that wasn't a secret. Uh, but, you know, you can still want to see Chauvin convicted and also see that, wow, that was a bad, <laughs> that was a bad closing argument. And such a, a huge hole created for Eric Nelson to stand up and shine. 
and and, See, look, and offer he's a right. more concise uh, theory of why uh, his client should not be convicted. Now, based on the evidence I've seen, I wouldn't buy it. But this is America. This is a police officer on trial, and the defendant is black. We got problems with this case at this well, point. Well, the defendant's not black. All right, A.L. Brown, <laughs> we thank you so much. I uh, like how he called unwittingly George Floyd the defendant. I mean... <laughs> today, this is Brock Hunter, defense attorney from the Twin Cities. Uh, Brock, thanks uh, again what for joining Brock us today. What has Brock got to say here? Thank you, Lou. Uh, first of all, give me your thoughts on the <laughs> opening statement, uh, the job done by prosecutor He's Steve Swisher to... for the state. Well, I agree with <laughs> Lena that it, it did meander for a while, and it definitely yeah. went longer than I think we would have anticipated. Um, I think the state chose uh, to devote this first uh, section of their closing to a more methodical examination of the evidence and and specifically going into the elements from the jury instructions and making sure the jury had a framework from which to consider all of this evidence. I thought the use of that chart, the elements chart, as, as Steve Slisher referred to it, I thought was helpful uh, because this is complex. These various elements of the charged offenses uh, are complicated, and I think it was helpful to provide a framework for the jury to to analyze the rest of this evidence. Uh, and I do think that, that Steve gain steam over the course of the closing argument and, and we had some of that emotional impact that I think uh, attorneys are always shooting for in closing arguments towards the end. I would expect that Jerry Blackwell is going to be the exclamation point, the emotional uh, exclamation point for the state's case in his rebuttal. Oh. Um, I think the state probably chose to go methodical on this first one and, and to save the, the power and the emotion really uh, for their rebuttal. That's my guess at this point. Okay, and Brock, I want to take a listen back at how Steve Slisher closed his, yeah, uh, his closing argument, the, his very last bit of how he brought it around and ended it. Let's take a listen back. Oh, God, we got to hear it again. You have that power, and only you have the power to convict the defendant of these crimes. And in so doing, and in so doing, declare that this use of force was unreasonable. It was excessive. It was grossly disproportionate. It is not an excuse for the shocking abuse that you saw with your own eyes. And you can believe your own eyes. This case. Oh, fuck this. Let me read a couple of these. Polina Whitestrike says, Sorry, officer, I don't want to be arrested today. I'm feeling rather anxious and uncomfortable. Let's try this again tomorrow after we all chill out. Uh, that was the one I missed earlier. Uh, let's see. Oh, this was the new one. Polina Whitestrike says, I have a bad feeling that if Chauvin is convicted, even if he tried to appeal, he will probably be executed in the showers or something before they get a chance to appeal. Possible, but I would imagine he'd probably be in protective custody like the whole time. Uh, by the way, killstream.live slash tip. Uh, cash tag is dollar sign sunset squad uh, for cash app. Also, trovo.live slash the Raffer Tort broadcasting live to 700 viewers. Shout out Chillstream clips, two separate words, 328 viewers over there. You know what that means? Over a thousand here as we watch the closing arguments in the state of Minnesota versus Derek Chauvin on trial for second degree murder. There's also some uh, lesser uh, included charges that they could convict on, uh, including a third degree murder uh, and a manslaughter charge. So, uh, we'll see, uh, and we're waiting for 
Eric Nelson, the defense attorney for Derek Chauvin, former police officer uh, for the Minneapolis Police Department, to take his rightful place here, deliver his closing arguments. We just watched the epically boring, completely monotonous, draining, and physically and mentally draining closing argument from what's-his-face from the state of Minnesota. And uh, it was hard. It was hard to stomach, but we did. Uh, And now we are in for an epic treat the closing arguments for Eric Nelson, better known as Chad Nelson here on the court retort. I don't even know how many of these we've done now. This is like close to episode 20 maybe uh, for the court retort. Um, So thank you all for being here and crossing the threshold with me. Conclusion that George Floyd was murdered. Um, I thought that was pretty powerful. Um, Thank you, Sherry D. With respect to the the elements, yes, I I do think that uh, the judge's ruling, particularly on the definition of substantial bodily harm for third-degree assault, was critical uh, in favor of the state. Uh, As you recall, uh, to prove up second-degree murder, the state has to show that Derek Chauvin uh, caused the death of George Floyd in the course of committing a felony felony third degree assault. And as as Steve Schlisher uh, adapted the judge's jury instructions to the definition of substantial bodily harm, he pointed out that a temporary loss of consciousness under the definitions provided by the judge constitutes substantial bodily harm. So he provided the jury uh, with a toehold, uh, so to speak, to to find that underlying felony assault and find Derek Chauvin uh, guilty of the most serious charge of second degree unintentional murder. And Brock, let's go over the other charges as well, because there are the three charges. There is the third degree murder and the second degree manslaughter. And Slisher did the same thing where he walked the jury through why he feels the state has proven those things. Did you feel like that, that, that they were able to prove those things to that jury? I think the state has a strong case uh, uh, for all three of these charges. Uh, As I said, I think the toughest reach for them was going to be the second-degree murder. The judge's instruction on substantial bodily harm, I think, gives them uh, a good basis uh, to get that. I think third-degree murder and second-degree manslaughter are more easily within reach under these circumstances. Uh, And again, yeah, I think the state... uh, definitely has put evidence in front of the jury that the jury could reasonably use to convict Eric Chauvin on all three counts. Okay, Brock, thank you very much for your help, and we'll be checking back with you in just a little bit. Thank you, Luke. And we also have former U.S. uh, Assistant U.S. Attorney Doug Kelly is joining us today. Uh, So, Doug, uh, having listened to the opening statement, Hello, Doug, what do you uh, have to say about this, sir? Well, I, I share uh, AL's like impatience already, with the so uh, methodical method that Steve used. Shit, I, might uh, have to have a drink. I do see a larger plan got a here. a couple beers down there. Um, and that is, the plan is to obviously Should we have, have a beer? the crescendo Should be with uh, Jerry 1K? Blackwell in the rebuttal. What your um, viewers need to know is you can't give a one-hour opening as the prosecutor and a two-hour rebuttal. Grab a it beer? I feel like I need work. a beer. And so... So, I feel like I need a beer uh, to I, celebrate I now that I have two plan. shows, a thousand knows, viewers apiece, you, you, you know what I mean? You've got to get that part Adding down so championship the belt. You know, I think I need, um, I think I need a brew. Form. That's what I think I need. Um, Doug notice, Kelly, former U.S. assistant, U.S. attorney, he would want me to have a beer. I feel comfortable that he's already had a couple already. I'm going to get one. You're not going to play that tape all the way through twice during this you got to figure out how you want to use it. So Blackwell is going to bring the tape in uh, at the end. 
The other thing you did not see here today with Swisher's argument was you didn't see him take it apart on cause of death. You didn't see him go in. He did go through that, but it was while he was filling out the elements, not necessarily while he was just taking that on. So both of those tasks are left to Jerry Blackwell. And uh, so while while he he was uh, a little methodical at times, I think he did what needed to be done. And Doug, uh, Rena and, and Brock just talked about this a little bit, but now that they have this favorable instruction regarding the third degree assault in the for the second degree murder charge, uh, do you think that the state has enough to convict on all three of these charges so far? I do. I, I still I share with Brock though that uh, I think the second degree murder. You know, uh, here it is, unintentional murder, but you have to find an intentional felony to in order to do it. I, I I think the jury can get over that, but that was one that was one that I thought um, that Schlicher really needed to lay those elements out and get that down for the jury because that's just a little counterintuitive. Hey, uh, for it's twelve thirty now. All right, Doug, we're expecting in a few minutes, any minute now, I should say, to go back to the court to hear the defense's closing arguments. What do we expect? It's there? not the AM, uh, Dingo. If anything, will it's twelve thirty here, sir. Obviously, he's taking notes and he's writing things down, but he has something prepared already. What can we expect? Yes, I think he will have thought and anticipated uh, Schlischer's argument. Um, so he is going to go straight to the, the elements, and he is going to say, here's the element. This is cause of death. And then, then he's <laughs> going to go through all rich. the said, evidence that he has. He's going to talk about Fowler. It'll be very interesting. I, I expect that we will hear a lot about Dr. Baker. I would give Baker, Mustache Groiber um, a wrench, here, but I don't know about Dr. Dingo. Baker's original view was, um, uh, at or around the time he Dankful got the toxicology IPA report for uh, when he was interviewed by the FBI. I think we're going to hear a lot about Baker because uh, I think uh, Mr. Nelson has put most of his eggs in the basket of uh, cause of death, and, and uh, that's what you're going to hear a lot of um, with, coming up. And, Doug, so just so our viewers know here, we're awaiting Eric Nelson giving his closing argument for the defense. And then Jerry Blackwell is going to deliver a rebuttal for the state. The judge will read some remaining instructions to the jury, and then they'll begin deliberating immediately. Uh, when, it, when we talk about this rebuttal, yeah, no, I like you bottles. share what you think Jerry Blackwell I usually Blackwell do like would. bottles more. Somebody else bought these, but they're still good. I'll get cans every once in a while. Cans kind of having a re- renaissance in certain ways, but, yeah, I usually get bottles. Yes, and it really does have to rebut points that Nelson brings up. And I think that's why that the uh, the uh, prosecution has anticipated how that's going to go. And so they've saved those gems for Jerry Blackwell, and I think they've saved them for him to give them very succinctly and then end up by playing the 9 minutes and 29-second tape, uh, which we all know is the strongest uh, piece of evidence here. But Judge Cahill has has, uh, been very precise about saying uh, during the trial, rebuttal has to be rebuttal. You can't just repeat your original argument a second time. It really has to go to rebuttal. Hmm. Now, Doug, I know you you know a lot of these attorneys personally, and uh, you watch them perform here over uh, on television this entire trial. Can you uh, kind of... if you can, kind of weigh in on on how each of them did with their differing styles. Obviously, Jerry Blackwell, very different style than Steve Slisher and Eric Nelson, different from both of them. 
You know, you got to give uh, when you step back, you got to give Keith Ellison um, some credit for uh, recruiting talent to his team. Um, Steve Slisher was one <clears throat> that the United States Attorney's Office went to on some of its most important cases. Uh, I negotiated with uh, them about uh, uh, Jacob Wetterling. Um, and so that was how important that case was to Andy Luger, who was the U.S. attorney at the time. Um, and okay, I think, look, uh, we don't care. We don't even know what you're talking about. Uh, making sure that the uh, elements. We know Keith Ellison, though, yeah. Blackwell. We do know that part. Chad's still. <laughs> team uh, has shown. But this guy's talking about random negotiations. So I was like, all right, folks, shut up. and, uh, you know, we're not in the room, so it's hard to see how he's connecting with the jury. Uh, but uh, I, he is a magnificent Why lawyer. Is he so flush? He's uh, I think he's That's done a really said. good job. Eric Nelson has had a tough sled, um, and he obviously hasn't had all the support. I think we've seen five or six or seven lawyers for the state, and Nelson has done it all by himself. And if your viewers remember, I think it was the end of the about Thursday afternoon of the second week. Poor Eric seemed like he he was just running out of gas. Um, he and did look had tired that, that day. Fuffled about a document that he said he didn't get, and then he said he did get it. Uh, I I felt for him because it is a lot of hard work, and to do that all on your own um, is really uh, is really a monumental task. I think they've all done a good job. I think this trial, and and the other thing is, I think Judge Cahill has to be congratulated for conducting a fair Doug. trial. That everybody Let's go! Can see. Doug, I'm so sorry. Let's we need go! to cut in, but the court is back in session. We'll get what back to that What did the viewer want me to play? I can't even find it now. Let's listen in. Oh, here we go. <laughs> can I play it? May it please the court. Counsel. <laughs> I want to take this opportunity first to thank each and every one of you for your service, your diligence, and your attention to this matter. <laughs> We all recognize the disruption that jury service places on your personal and professional lives, especially in a case of this magnitude and duration. And so on behalf of Mr. Chauvin, I want to thank each and every one of you for your attention and service to this jury. I'm I'm going to apologize if I get a little long-winded, because I get one bite at the apple here. Only one bite. has an opportunity to rebut my statement after this. There's so very much we need to cover. There's so very much we need to talk about. And it is all important. Before I begin my review of the evidence in this case, I would like to address two very crucial points of law. And they were touched on by the state. The presumption of innocence and what proof beyond a reasonable doubt means. The presumption of innocence, the defendant is presumed innocent. That's the starting point. He's presumed innocent of these charges. And this presumption remains with him throughout the course of the trial, the presentation of the evidence, throughout the course of your deliberations, until and unless the state has proved its case beyond a reasonable doubt. The defendant does not have to prove his innocence. We talked about this in jury selection. Polino suggests we talked Irish about cream the starting point. For my morning coffee. The defendant doesn't Thank have you, to sir. try to catch up. Memphis. He starts Thank at you. the presumption of innocence. Proof beyond a reasonable doubt. 
Here's the definition that the judge just read you. Proof beyond a reasonable doubt is such proof as ordinary prudent men and women would act upon in their most important affairs. A reasonable doubt is a doubt that is based upon reason and common sense. It does not mean a fanciful or capricious doubt, nor does it mean beyond all possibility of doubt. The law recognizes three standards of proof. The preponderance of the evidence is the first and lowest standard. Clear and convincing evidence is the next standard. And the third standard is proof beyond a reasonable doubt. Take them to school, baby. And the way we lawyers sometimes illustrate what these three standards mean is through the scales of justice, right? The scales of justice equally balanced. When you apply the standard of the preponderance of the evidence, it's also called the scintilla of the evidence. A single grain of sand tips the scales in the Dude. favor of oh, one man. party or the other. And this it. burden of proof is used it's not in day. many civil cases. How much better he is. Somebody, if the state wants to take away your driver's license, for an example, that is the burden of proof that the state has in that type of a case. They have to just ever so slightly convince the finder of fact that their evidence supports their action. The next standard is clear and convincing evidence. I mean, that's pretty self-explanatory, right? It is clear evidence and it convinces you, the finder of fact, that the action is correct. This is the standard of proof that is used if the state wants to take away your children. Clear and convincing evidence. It tips the scales more in one, the favor of one party over the other. The highest standard in this country is proof beyond a reasonable doubt. Proof beyond a reasonable doubt. Essentially, what the state has to convince you is that there, the evidence in this case yeah, I like to take completely eliminates Drop that any in. reasonable doubt. Or in other words, leaving only unreasonable doubt. Capricious, fanciful. Capricious doubt? Capricious means unpredictable. Fanciful. Space aliens flew in, inhabited the body of Derek Chauvin, and caused this death. That's fanciful. Beyond the reasonable doubt, it is the highest standard in the law. Doesn't mean beyond all possibility of doubt, because I suppose space aliens may have been inhabiting his body, but that's obviously fanciful and capricious. So this, these two standards, the presumption of innocence and proof beyond a reasonable doubt, work in concert with each other. You start with the proposition that Mr. Chauvin is innocent of these charges. The state has to advance substantial evidence to convince you 
that the only doubts that are remaining are unreasonable doubts. As you analyze the evidence in this case, you would simply have to find that any defense that has been advanced is unreasonable. That's, I mean, that's what this standard is all about. I want to take this opportunity also to talk to you about the importance of reading the entire instruction. Because I've seen, you know, and lawyers, and, and I'm going to do it too, right? We pick and choose those things that uh, help us make our case and help us argue our case. That's our job as lawyers is to point out words and phrases within the instructions that, that make the difference in the case and to take that evidence and present it to you in such a way that it supports our proposition. That's what we do. That's why you are instructed that if your memories of the evidence is different, that if your the, the judge's law is what applies. 1100 law. But take the time to carefully read the entire instructions. Throughout the course of this trial, you've seen us do this, right? Little snippets, a second here, a second there, a screenshot here, a screenshot there. You need to review this, the entirety of the evidence in this case it, during the course of your deliberations as well. And I can tell you that some of the videos that we've seen, they're much longer than what was presented in court. There's additional information, and you're going to see some Whoa. of that as we go through this case today. Oh, so take the time A and conduct extra, huh? an honest assessment of the facts of this case. Uh-oh. Compare it to the law Here we go. as the judge instructs Here you we and go. the entirety of the law. That's why the instructions tell you, consider the instructions as a whole. Nelson has as long as he wants, I believe. I mean, unless it just went, like, forever. I've, I've told you that lawyers like to present evidence that favors them, right? But we have to be intellectually honest about the evidence. We have to present it in an honest and intellectually cohesive and coherent manner. And I have to address something that I think is important. And I think it is a prime example of what I am asking you and what is your obligation to do to look at the evidence in light of all of the other pieces of evidence, right? So you heard during the testimony of Dr. Fowler that one of the things that he considered is the possibility that carbon monoxide was present and could have contributed to an environment that created an oxygen deprivation. You've, you heard that testimony. In rebuttal to that testimony, the state brought Dr. Tobin back in and he told you we can completely disregard that. We know as a fact, we know conclusively that Mr. Uh, Floyd did not have carbon monoxide because his oxygen was saturated to 98%. And you just heard the state say, just like I am right here, right? So 
it stands to reason. I could get up in front of you and I could argue to you, we know this wasn't asphyxiation because George Floyd had a 98% oxygen level. How could he have been asphyxiated at the hospital with a 98% oxygen level? But that's not intellectually honest. It doesn't stack up against the rest of the evidence because of what we know, right? We heard the testimony of Seth Bravender and Derek Smith, the paramedics. We heard the testimony of Dr. Langenfeld. They came in and they said, they began resuscitative effort, efforts, they introduced oxygen, an oxygen supply. We, they're, they're manually breathing for him. They're reoxygenating his blood. So when you look at that piece of evidence, when you look at a piece of evidence like that, you have to compare it against all of the other evidence. Because you can't come in and say, George Floyd, on one hand, George Floyd died of asphyxiation, but he has a 98% oxygen level, right? His blood is oxygenated. Then it is, stands to reason the opposite is true as well. You can't come in and say, I can conclusively prove that Mr. Floyd didn't have carbon monoxide in his blood because he had this high oxygen saturation. You test one statement against the evidence of other people and you compare it. That is what 1200 jurors are obligated to do and what I am asking you to do. Compare the evidence against itself. Let's go. We're still Test going 1200 live. Challenge it. Compare Chad it Nelson, to the let's law. go. Read the instructions in their entirety. Start from the point of the presumption of innocence and see how far the state can get. I submit to you that the state has failed to meet its burden of proof beyond a reasonable doubt. Mr. Chauvin has been charged, as the state indicated, with these three charges, and the judge has instructed you. Count one is second-degree murder while committing a felony. It's also called the felony murder rule in Minnesota. Kind of the textbook example is I run into a liquor store, I pull a gun, I'm intending to rob the liquor store. My gun goes off, I shoot and kill the teller. I didn't intend to go in and murder that person, but my, the death of that teller occurred while I was committing a felony. That's the felony murder rule. He's Great been charged says, with murder in the third degree. Lies are often complicated, for, long, and boring. Not guilty. An intentional act that is eminently dangerous. And he says, if nothing right? keeps going, the instructions Chauvin you've heard can't it. go to prison. And manslaughter in the second degree. <laughs> Those are on cash out. Again, the law has all of the words. It defines the words you need, and the instructions should be considered in their entirety. Whenever I meet with a client. I try to explain what the elements are, and this is the analogy that I use. I say that a criminal case is kind of like baking chocolate chip cookies. You have to have the necessary ingredients. You've got to have flour and sugar and butter and chocolate chips 
whatever else goes into those chocolate chip cookies. If you have all of the ingredients, you can make chocolate chip cookies. But if you're missing any one single ingredient, you can't no make chocolate cookies. chip cookies. It's Wait, Nelson's talking about cookies? Analogy. But oh the criminal God. law works oh the same way. Oh my God, he's having a cookie we say moment. The we call the ingredients the elements. The state has the burden of proving each and every element beyond a reasonable doubt. Not just some global proposition that they've proved their case beyond a reasonable doubt. They have to prove each of these elements beyond a reasonable doubt. And if you determine that they have done so, you convict. But if they are missing any one single element, any one single element, it is a not guilty verdict. And you saw the spreadsheet that the state put up, right? The elements are a little different in each of these cases. And some of these elements will take less Not of your consideration. You will have to look at the evidence and you will have to, for example, determine is Cup Foods in the city of Minneapolis, is Minneapolis in the county of Hennepin, is Hennepin County in the state of Minnesota. Did this happen on May 25th, 2020? Right? It's going to take less of your consideration, but nevertheless, you have to do that. You have to go through that process. Two of the elements that I want to focus on during the course of my discussion here today, two of these elements are common throughout, or two of these issues are common and apply to all three counts. And so I want to focus my remarks today on those two issues. The first, were Mr. Chauvin's actions an authorized use of force by a peace officer, right? Because in the instructions, it specifically tells you no crime is committed if it was an authorized use of force, period, end of discussion. The second is an element that is and does appear in all three counts, that is the cause of death. What caused Mr. Floyd's death? And we're going to talk about that second. So let's start with the concept of reasonable force. As the instructions read in their entirety, no crime is committed if a police officer's actions were justified by the police officer's use of reasonable force in the line of duty in effecting a lawful arrest or preventing an escape from custody. The kind and degree of force a police officer may lawfully use in executing his duties is limited by what a reasonable police officer in the same situation would believe to be necessary. Any use of force beyond that is not reasonable. To determine if the actions of the police officer were reasonable, you must look at those facts which a reasonable officer in the same situation would have known at the precise moment the officer acted with force. You must decide whether the officer's actions were objectively reasonable in light of the totality of the facts and circumstances confronting the officer and without regard to the officer's own subjective state of mind, intention, or motivations. The defendant is not guilty of a crime 
if he used force as authorized by law, and to prove guilt, the state must further prove beyond a reasonable doubt that the defendant's use of force was not authorized by law. So, if you remember from my opening statements and how I talked about reason and common sense, right? the reasonable police officer standard. I want to just briefly add one thing here, is the standard is not what should the officer have done in these circumstances. It's not what could the officer have done differently in these circumstances. The standard is what were the facts that were known to this officer at the precise moment he used force and considering all of the totality of circumstances and facts known to the officer, would a reasonable police officer, what would a reasonable police officer have done? You have heard from numerous experts, police use of force experts, the training department from the Minneapolis Police Department. You've heard from police officers, street police officers, Sergeant Edwards, Sergeant Pluger, right? So you've heard from these people and they have given you their opinions at various stages as to the reasonableness of the use of force. But one of the things that the state, or excuse me, Margaret says, that can I end the show with Perry Mason's theme song? Yeah, I can play that. agreed to is Some that point, when yeah. you look at the question of what would a reasonable police officer do knowing the facts of the case, there are things that a police officer is entitled to take into consideration above and beyond the facts, right? Their training, the training that they receive, their, their experience as a police well, officer. I need to fix entropy, by the way. The I'll department's policies on the use of force. And all of these things kind of lead into the question of, most critically, what are the facts that were known to the police officer, the reasonable police officer, at the precise moment the force was used? Okay, I fixed it. So you can start at a very Entropy. high level, right? What were the reasonable police officer's knowledge of the area be? Is this a high crime location? Is it a low crime area? Those are things, those are facts that a police officer would know. What are the specifics of the location of arrest, right? Am I going into a dense, densely populated urban environment or am I in a kind of a secluded backyard, right? Officer is calculating these pieces of information and assessing the risk, assessing the threats. Officers are entitled to kind of take into consideration things that you and I don't think about. Their tactical advantages, their tactical disadvantages. They can take into consideration the scene security, keeping the scene secure, and security of the scene, right? Those are two different concepts. So kind of, again, focusing back into what facts were known at the precise moment force is used, you can then take into consideration kind of this mid-range level of, of information. A reasonable officer wants to keep his fellow officers safe. A reasonable police officer 
takes into consideration the safety of civilians. The reasonable place, the police officer, reasonable police officer takes into account the safety of the person that they are arresting. They take into account what resources do I have based upon how close am I to a hospital? What's the expected time if I call EMS? Because a poli reasonable police officer at times, they got to put the person in their squad car sometimes and take them because they're farther away. Calling for help, bringing help in would take longer than it would simply to take the person directly. And then you look at the direct knowledge that a reasonable police officer would have at the precise moment force was used. That includes information that they gather from dispatch, their direct observations of the scene, the subjects, and the current surroundings. They have to take into consideration whether they suspect the suspect was under the influence of a controlled substance. They can take into consideration because again, this is a dynamic and ever-changing, just like life. Things change. It's a dynamic situation. It's fluid. They take into account their experience with the subject at the beginning, the middle, the end. They try to, a reasonable police officer tries to predict or is at least cognizant and concerned about future behavior based upon past behavior but the unpredictability of humans factors into the reasonable police officer's analysis too. Because sometimes people take, reasonable police officers take someone into custody with no problem and suddenly they become a problem. It can change in an instant. A reasonable police officer will take into consideration his immediate surroundings. Are there bystanders? Are there civilians? A reasonable police officer will take into consideration who he is at the scene with. Are these veteran officers? Are they rookie officers? What do I know about my partners and my partner's abilities? So throughout the course of this trial, the state has focused your attention on nine minutes and 29 seconds. Uh-oh. Here we go. The proper analysis is to take those nine minutes and 29 seconds and put it into the context of the totality of the circumstances that a reasonable police officer would know. And the proper analysis starts with what did the officers, or what would a reasonable officer know at the time of dispatch? Well, these are records that are kept. They've been introduced. You can look at them. This is Exhibit 151. This is the computer-aided dispatch report. You heard the testimony of Jen, uh, Jenna Scurry, the 911 dispatcher. This is information that they are passing out to the officers. You will see that the initial, the initial information that a police officer has in his squad car looking at his computer or hearing over the radio was that on May 25th, 2020, at 20.02.13, so that's 8.02.13, uh -oh. a business, Cup Foods, 
who Cut police food. officers have the obligation to respond to these calls, whether it be from a person or a business. But a citizen of the state of Minnesota, Minneapolis, runs a business and they called for assistance. And they told the officers, the reporting party, there is a male who provided a counterfeit bill to the business. He's six feet tall or higher. He's sitting on top of a blue Mercedes ML320 SUV. Also appears this subject is under the influence. It might be my fault. I'll look at the settings. So after. the analysis is of what a reasonable police officer would know in this circumstance is that A, a business is requesting its help. The suspect is still there. He's large and he's possibly under the influence of alcohol or something else. So the analysis begins at 8.02 and 13 seconds. Can anybody get 1080? You may recall the testimony of Jenna Scurry as well, and it's not reflected in this exhibit pretty well. Check and see if you can. In the evidence, uh, exhibit number 10, you can hear the audio recording of the dispatch. Huh. Jenna Scurry. It must be on my end, then. I'll mess with it after. I don't know why that would be. But. Jenna Scurry informed you that initially Officer Chauvin was assigned to this call on a Code 3 Priority 1 basis. It's Code 3. Get their lights and sirens. Get there fast. I'll mess right. with it. 720 it's Priority long, 1 because the after. suspect is still on scene. So per the Minneapolis Police Department policy... Get there fast. The person is on scene, right? That's what she testified. And then very quickly after that, that occurred at 8.04 and 28 seconds. Then what you see is often, or what she told you, was that the sector car, sector car 320, that's the car that patrols this part of the city, said, hey, we can take this call and... Officer Chauvin and Officer Tao were canceled from the call, right? So they were canceled from the call. And Sector Car 320, Officers King and Lane took it, and that occurred at 8.05 and 11 seconds. When Officer King and Lane took it over, you can hear, again, you can go back and you can listen to that audio of that dispatch, and you can hear them talking to each other. Officers King and Lane arrive at the Cup Foods at 8.08 and 20 seconds. We're going through it. We're, we're going through it with Chauvin. Let's go do it. Let's go do a ride. Ride a long time. So now when you see Police officers are responding. They're on scene at 8.08. Both Jenna Scurry and Peter Chang described that during the course of the interaction between the initial interaction between officers King and Lane and Mr. Floyd, through dispatch they heard what sounded like the sounds of a struggle. Jenna Scurry described she's trained to listen. She heard these sounds of a, of a struggle, and she aired out on her own, other officers need to respond, code three, to assist 
officers King and Lane, right? So a reasonable police officer is going emergent to a scene. He gets canceled from the scene. He's now being told that other officers need assistance and step it up, get there fast. So you can see again, based on the records, that at 8 2010-08, backed up 320 with 330, right? So now 330 is Officer Chauvin and Tao. They're backing up Officer King and Lane. And you can see Peter Chang respond at 8, 10, and 21 seconds. You hear 320 taking one out. So they're that means they're removing someone from the vehicle at 8.11.02. The scene is ultimately C4, code four, all clear at 20.12.21. So literally this demonstrates to you a couple of things. Drummer Remover says Nelson San is summoning the spirit bomb. From Second to People second, of minute Earth, to minute. Send him your energy. They went from get there fast, back off. Get there faster because someone needs help. It's clear. The situation is dynamic and it's fluid. They're provided with information that an officer needs assistance. They testified about the sound of a struggle, right? And if you recall, Sergeant Steiger specifically said, all of this information would be known to a reasonable police Polino officer. White Strike. And it goes into and factors into Suggest the reasonableness of the use of mustache force. Mustache Groyper knows a lot about cookies, Polino thinks. Ultimately, Officer Chauvin and Officer Tao arrive at Cup Foods. Pause this for one second here. Somebody says Killstream got lives. When we look at officer, I just have to, be, to give you a little piece I'll of information. Send the link too. When we look at Officer Chang's video, Officer Chang arrives first. You see the time is one sixteen thirty three Z Zulu. That's Greenwich Mean Time. Subtract five from one a.m. Get you back to eight. So. Officers King, or excuse me, Officer Chauvin and Officer Lane pull up. 816. Go over there. Okay, just stay put, alright? I don't want anybody here to start. information gathering in terms of this assessment and reassessment of, it, again, the decision-making process of a police officer, right? Don't come over here where I am, Officer Chang says. Go over there. They need your help. Because what, what at that point, at that precise moment, they don't know what's happening over at the squad car. They don't know that officers uh, King and Lane struggled with 
Mr. Floyd getting him out of the car, that they sat him down, that they stood him up, that they walked over. They haven't seen any of this information, and there's no evidence to suggest that they had. So that doesn't factor into the information. It's again, a reasonable police officer, what do they know? And they don't know that. But they're starting to get some indication, hey, go over there, right? Go over there. You can see right at about 8.17, and I apologize for the quality of the picture, Officer Chauvin is arriving and walking up to the squad car. So what a reasonable police Almost officer, what a reasonable Let's go. police officer see in this instance? Uh. What a reasonable police officer would see could be defined because, again, a reasonable police officer has to be aware of his department policies. Active aggression or active resistance. Let's call it active resistance. A response to police efforts to bring a person into custody or control for detainment or arrest, a subject engages in active resistance when engaging in physical actions or verbal behavior reflecting an intention to make it more difficult for officers to achieve actual physical control. So as Derek Chauvin walks up to this scene, he has all of the information from dispatch. He has all of the information from Officer Chang sending him over. He knows his department policy on the difference between active aggression, active resistance, passive resistance based on policy, training, etc. This is an officer's consideration of, again, the use of force. All of these things factor into it. So what does he see? He sees Officers King and Officers Lane struggling with Mr. Floyd attempting to put him into the car. He hears the words that Mr. Floyd is saying at that point. I'm claustrophobic. I'm a good guy. I'm a good man. I'm claustrophobic. I just had COVID, right? He's hearing this information. Just had COVID. He's observing with his eyes. A Glad reasonable police that. officer is observing this with his eyes and his ears and assessing what he sees pursuant to policy. And what he sees, at a minimum, is active resistance. Mr. Floyd's not just simply getting in the backseat of the car. So let's watch. What does Officer Chauvin see when he walks up? This is from his body camera from 8.17 and 21 seconds to 8.18 and 15 seconds. Just shy of a minute. You can't win. I'm not trying to win. Don't get in the car. Don't get in the car. He know it. He know it too, Mr. Officer. Y'all hear me? Don't do me like that, man. Please. Okay, I have to open these things. So you get out of this car. I am a doctor. I'm claustrophobic. I'm claustrophobic. Stop working with me. Get him claustrophobic. Get him out of here, man. Get him out of here. 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 Get him out
Play no, you're not gonna play. That's the boom. It's the car. car. Oh, oh yeah. Man. Okay. I'm not a bad guy, man. Get in the car. I'm not a bad guy. Wow. Ah, you have a win. Oh, He's oh, kicking his shit. Should have just chilled out. Also, why didn't they shut this other door? What the fuck? This dude's insane. Notice how he keeps saying I can't breathe? By 8, 18, and 15 seconds, Nelson's trying to win it. Chauvin has not laid a finger on Mr. Floyd. But he's observing and a reasonable police officer is doing this. He walks onto a scene. Brilliant. He sees active resistance occurring, potentially active aggression occurring. He has two other officers. He has not intervened. But again, based on the policies and the training this that is you amazing. have seen, what were his options available to him at that time? He showed restraint. If a person is actively resistant in the center Distraction techniques, controlled takedowns, conscious neck restraints. Can you clear that? These are options available to Mr. Chauvin at this point. He has, per his training, these techniques at his disposal. A reasonable police officer would be making these observations. He would observe the white foam around Mr. Floyd's mouth. Uh, he holy would consider shit. the possibility that this holy person was under the sus- was under the influence of something. Basically, using the information from dispatch, making these observations, how is he analyzing this? How would a reasonable officer analyze this, and what would be known to a reasonable officer? A reasonable officer would look at the size of the person and assess that person's size in Holy relation shit. to Holy his own shit. size. Nelson's going mad lab right now. Risk threat analysis, right? Zombie that we've heard boy. About so much. A reasonable officer would know that these are two rookies putting this off, putting this man in the car. In fact, as the evidence established, Mr. Chauvin trained one of the officers. So a reasonable officer may step back at this point to see if these two guys can get this under control. A reasonable officer will hear the words that the suspect is saying. I'm a good guy, I'm a good guy, I'm a good guy, I'm claustrophobic. And he's going to compare those words to the actions of the individual. Right? Because this is part of the analysis. Because I can say, I'm going to cooperate with you. I'm going to do whatever I want. But if my behavior is inconsistent with what I am saying, a reasonable officer takes that into consideration. In fact, a reasonable officer who's aware of his department policies knows the de-escalation policy that is in place. And part of what a reasonable officer has to do is to consider whether a subject's lack of compliance is a deliberate attempt to resist or an inability to comply based on these factors. Medical conditions, mental impairment, 
developmental disability, physical language, language barrier, influence of drugs or alcohol, or behavioral crisis. So an officer, a reasonable officer, has to take the information and assess, is this suspect purposefully or intentionally deliberately trying to thwart our efforts to take him into custody, or are they experiencing one of these other uh, types of factors? But such consideration, when time and circumstances reasonably permit, shall then be balanced against the incident facts when deciding which tactical options are the most appropriate to resolve the situation safely. So again, reasonable officer, based on the totality of these circumstances, is going to take all of this information in, all of these policies, all of these training ends, and a reasonable officer at that point would conclude that the amount of force that was being used by officers King and Lane was insufficient, was not enough use of force to overpower Mr. Floyd's resistance to getting into the car. He's seen it, he's heard it, he's familiar with the policies. And so, at precisely 8, 18, and 15 seconds, Officer Chauvin goes hands-on. Officer King, Officer Lane, and Officer Chauvin struggled, fought, however you, whatever adjective you want to use. They struggled with Mr. Floyd from 8.18 till 8.19 and 12 seconds. About a minute, a little over a minute. It doesn't really seem that it's that long of a time, but again, the amount of physical exertion Remember how Jody Steiger, Sergeant Jody Steiger, described this. When the apparent attempts to get him into custody were futile. I wrote his quote down. The futility of their efforts became apparent. They weren't able to get him into the car. Three Minneapolis police officers were not able to get Mr. Floyd into the car. Three grown men. They themselves are experiencing. Oh, uh, wait, did the stream that, go out? That oh, okay, it's back. It just went down a for a second. A police officer will it just be went down for a second. It's that back. surge of, it's adre- back. of adrenaline. And again, balancing all of the evidence against each other, right? It just Let's went down look for one at second. three different angles of this struggle. This is Officer King's body camera. I don't know why it keeps doing that. I'm going to check that out, too. I don't know if it was Trovo or OBS. I just got COVID, man. I can't breathe. I Take can't a seat. Please, man. Please He's clearly having some type of drug episode. He's under arrest right now. Oh, by the way, they're cutting that out. God damn it. Fuck them. Oh, man. They're terrible for that. Oh, they're cutting all that out. Law and crime has a new feed. On the ground. On the ground. What's going on? For what? Please, man. I can't fucking breathe. Hey, come on out. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Get on the ground. On the ground. 
He's under arrest for forgery. Forgery for what? Their audio is not as good, though. This is the, the video of the same time period from I'll Officer Lauder. Thirteen hundred live watching the court retort. Holy shit, thank you, Atticus Finch, man. I'll read that. Man, I almost bought some doge too. I should have got that. Fuck, I should have bought it. It was like five cents when I saw it. It's 38 cents. I'm going down. I'm going down. I'm not going down. Right, 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 right. I know I can't breathe. I can't breathe. You're talking to me. Ah, oxygen. 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 See, they ain't showed this the whole trial. He waited to show this on closing argument day, didn't he? Ah, a reasonable police officer understands the intensity of the struggle. You can see at points. When Mr. Floyd's legs sure kicked brilliant. back, it actually sure almost knocks that he off waited Mr. Lane. Over, that. Right? It knocks off the body-worn camera and the badge of Officer Chauvin in this struggle. A reasonable police officer would understand this situation, that Mr. Floyd was over, able to overcome the efforts Gentle of giant. three police officers while handcuffed with his legs and his body strength. Lambo for Rambo, thank you. A reasonable police officer standard can be seen in another way from the milestone camera. And this is what caught the attention of the 911 dispatcher, Jenna Scurry. She said she observed the struggle and the vehicle rocking back and forth, back and forth. Watch the vehicle. Can't see it.
Damn. Yeah, it's moving pretty hard. You got to be strong to even move the vehicle when it's like that. Reasonable police officers will consider their training, right? And before we talk about the training again, there's something that I think is really important to understand, two things actually, at this moment. Not a single use of force expert that testified, not a single police officer who testified said that anything up until this point was unlawful or unreasonable. It was reasonable for these officers to put them into the, Mr. Floyd, into the squad car. It was reasonable. The efforts that they took to overcome his resistance were reasonable. Every single expert agrees that to this point, nothing is contrary to policy, training, defensive tactics, crisis intervention, all reasonable. It's at the point that Mr. Floyd is brought to the ground that there becomes dispute about the reasonableness of the use of force and what a reasonable officer would know. It was Seth Stoughton, the law professor, who said at the point Mr. Floyd came out of the car, putting him on the ground was unreasonable. So, was it reasonable for Officer Chauvin or a reasonable police officer to put Mr. Floyd on the ground in that instance. So a reasonable police officer is going to rely on his training and information, his evidence, what he knows, all of the information he's built up to this point. You heard Lieutenant Mercer testify about how about 15 years ago, the Minneapolis Police Department went to ground defense tactics, getting people on the ground to control them control the head, control the body. Different types of moves that, per that the police use to create and eliminate space. Escape versus control. Those are two different things. These are the tactics that have been employed by the Minneapolis Police Department for 15 years. Why? Because it's safer for the officers and it's safer for the suspects. It keeps people contained, controlled, and confined until they no longer are resisting. A reasonable police officer would also consider his department's policies, including the use of non-deadly force policy. 
force that does not have the reasonable likelihood of causing or creating a substantial risk of death or great bodily harm. This includes, but is not limited to, physically subduing, controlling, capturing, restraining, or physically managing a person. This is the policy, 5-302 of the Minneapolis Police Department, that non-deadly force can be used to physically manage a person. And again, every single person has agreed that the use of force up to this point is reasonable, lawful, and meets the reasonable officer standard. And so we get into the 9 minutes and 29 seconds at this point. And the state has really focused on the 9 minutes and 29 seconds. 9 minutes, 29 seconds. 9 minutes, 29 seconds. <laughs> not the proper analysis. Because the 9 minutes and 29 school. seconds ignores the previous 16 minutes and 59 seconds. It completely disregards it. It says, in that moment, at that point, Nothing else that happened before should be taken into consideration by a reasonable police officer. It tries to reframe the issue of what a reasonable police officer would do. A reasonable police officer would, in fact, take into consideration the previous 16 minutes and 59 seconds. Their experience with the subject the struggle that they had, the comparison of the words to actions, it all comes into play. Why? Because human behavior is unpredictable. Human behavior is unpredictable, and nobody knows it better than a police officer. Someone can be compliant one second and fighting the next. Someone can be fighting and then compliant. Nobody knows it better. But reasonable police officers continue to assess and reevaluate. This is the critical decision making po policy, right, or model. You gather information, you assess the threat versus the risk. Do we have an authority to act? What are our goals and actions? Review and assess. Start over. Because this is not a singular cycle, this is a cycle that Humans, as humans, we literally make millions of decisions in a day, right? Do I go this way? Do I go that way? Do I go up? Do I go down? I mean, we are constantly doing this. This is just human behavior. But in the policing context, you have to gather the information, assess the risk, assess the threat. Do I have authority to act? What are my goals and actions? Review and assess. And it's constantly rotating. At the precise moment that Mr. Floyd was laid on the ground, a reasonable police officer would know about those previous 17 minutes. A reasonable police officer would know about the struggle. He would con a reasonable police officer would consider the suspect's reactions to the previous use of force. A reasonable police officer would continue this process of reassessment. And a reasonable police officer would consider whether to use an additional force to overcome the suspect's level of resistance, right? So nine minutes and 29 seconds. 
1350 live. Let's go. Literally. I appreciate that. I do. Uh, 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 Killstream.live slash tip. Entropy. Hashtag dollar sign Sunset Squad. Live on Trovo.live slash the Ralph Retort and Chillstream Clips on YouTube. Thank you. Regulator, thank you. Mama, Mama. Sherry, thank you. Continuing to assess the risk and the threat. The first 29 seconds, 20 seconds, continued resistance is what a reasonable police officer would interpret that to be. Jesus Christ, the kicking, 